tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Ali is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, St. Anthony has been voted as Ireland's favourite saint. We'll be chatting about him in just a few moments' time. Illegal dumping affecting an area of North Tipperary. Could there finally be action on Marketplace in Clonmel? The independent insurance advisor, Dermot Good, will talk to us about health insurance and will answer your queries. So if you have a question about health insurance, you might like to... Uh, Send it in to us on 083-311-3311. For this week's Conspiracy Files, Ali will have a look at the Mandela effect. It is absolutely fascinating, I promise you. Fascinating. Um, our listeners shared their advice on this week's uh, Dear Phil Letters. We have life coach Lorna Butler, who will join me in studio to talk about uh, identifying what is inside and what is outside our control. And we have gardening with Alton Nesbitt towards the end of uh, the uh, programme. So if you have a gardening query, again, if you log that with us as soon as you can, 083-311-3311. But first this morning in what is being billed, the Drew Flu a Garda walkout similar to the blue flu back in 1998 could be on the cards. The GRA is holding a special conference in Kilkenny this morning following the breakdown in talks with the Garda Commissioner yesterday. The General Secretary of the Association, Ronan Slevin, called the meeting with Drew Harris a complete waste of time. So we're asking you this morning um, if you would support the Garda in a Drew Flu. You know, we've posted it up on social media, and of course, uh, you, again, you can text and WhatsApp 083 A quick look at uh, the front pages of uh, the newspapers today, and all of the papers dominated um, by what's been described on the Independent as a huge cocaine haul hidden on a cargo ship. And Gardaí suspect a haul of well over 100 million euro worth of cocaine was hidden on a cargo ship, which was raided in a very dramatic fashion indeed yesterday. And it's believed that the Panamanian registered bulk cargo vessel acted as the mothership that supplied a trawler that ran aground off Wexford on Sunday. So that's covered right across the newspapers today, as I say, with some very dramatic photographs there as well. Also on the front of the Indo today, Guardia are investigating if a teenage girl died after taking part in a viral social media challenge. Can you believe the 14-year-old took ill over the weekend and sadly was pronounced dead in a Dublin hospital on Monday. Daily Mail, again, uh, dominated by a photograph from yesterday on that uh, ship. The Irish Times, same way, and their headline, Naval Service, fired shots twice as drug uh, drugs container ship tried to flee. Also on the Times today, we're reading that student dropout rates climbed uh, across all third-level colleges during the 2021 academic year against the backdrop, needless to say, of a, a perfect storm of COVID disruption and disengagement linked to online learning. And finally, to the examiner, and again, a picture of the cargo ship in question there. And uh, also, uh, that story by Owen English on the front of the Examiner today, an expert 
in assisted dying says he fears that death is being increasingly viewed as a remedy against all kinds of unbearable suffering. Former supporter of the Netherlands' right to die laws, Theo Bohr, a professor of healthcare ethics at the Protestant Theological University, um, told a Dáil committee yesterday that his country's euthanasia laws turned the whole landscape of dying, including views of illness, suffering, ageing and care dependence, upside down. So, um, yeah, it's uh, something we'll be talking about over the next couple of days here on the programme as well. Very, very, as you can imagine, divisive uh, issue. 1800-938-007. St. Anthony has won a competition to find Ireland's favourite saint by a landslide. Uh, the poll was conducted at the National Ploughing Championships last week. Father Michael Toomey joins me online now. Good morning to you, Father Michael. Morning, friend. I hope you're keeping dry today. <laughs> just, just it's, it's wet <laughs> and it's miserable, and we're putting out warnings to people as well, Father Michael. It's, it can be dangerous safe. out there. Yeah, um, you're just back from Padua, where Saint yep. Anthony is is buried. In in fact, is it, it? And before I talk to you about that, is it any surprise to you that Saint Anthony has been voted as Ireland's favourite uh, saint? Not really, uh, because he has great devotion. Um, like St. Anthony, the, the patron of lost causes, like if you lose something, pray to St. Anthony and you'll find us. We lost two bags on our trip. There was 40 that went off last week, one bag when we arrived and one when we came back. Both bags are back. Uh, so there's something in the power of prayer with St. Anthony. Um, you remember, of course, the friary now. It's the Abbey House of Prayer in Clonmel. Yes. Uh, they have Mass every Tuesday morning. I was, I was there yesterday huge crowd attends that Mass every Tuesday morning for the St. Anthony's Novena. Uh, and people who normally don't go to Mass regularly would go to that Novena because there, there's something special about St. Anthony that always has been uh, in Ireland. So it doesn't it didn't shock me that he won. Uh, St. Bridget and St. Patrick, I think, came second and third. Mm, St. Yeah. Padre Pio came fourth, and he's kind of my guy as well. I've been there as well. Um, but it was just ironic we were there in Padua when I got the tweets uh, from Bishop Dennis Nolte, who's the Bishop of Kildare and Lockham, he was at the ploughing last week, mm. and I actually sent him a text and I said, I wonder if it's because I'm here that he's been voted Ireland's favourite <laughs> saint because we've been praying to him. Yes, um, but yeah. yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Really. Could could you give us a bit of background on him? I mean, he's buried in Padua but of course he, he's Portuguese, wasn't he? Yeah, he's from Lisbon originally. Uh, he was born into a, a kind of a, a wealthy family. Um, but he was a great preacher, and he loved scriptures and everything. Um, he was only at the age of 15, I think, he he joined the Augustinian uh, community. Um, and at 25, so about 10 years later, he was at a funeral procession where five early Franciscan friars had been martyred, and it kind of impacted him. So he very much followed the St. Francis Franciscan way. Uh, he went off to Africa, but by providence, the winds took him to Sicily, and he uh, arrived then uh, in the Sicily area. And then eventually he kind of arrived just in Padua itself. Um, but he, one, at one time when he was ill, he went off about, uh, about five, six kilometres away. He went to another place called Campus de Pero. Many people know St. Anthony holds the baby Jesus in yes, his hand. That's, yeah. that's famous in the statue. And the story of that was why he was at Campus de Pero. And um, he was in a room by himself. The, the kind of the, the, the housekeeper gave him his own private room, and he was passing down one night. He saw this massive light coming from the room, like and he just didn't understand what it was. And he peered in through a gap in the door, 
and he could see Saint Anthony praying to a, a, a baby, a child, who was a, a, an unusual light coming through him. And the man recognised that the baby was an image of Jesus as, as a child, and it was like a very prayerful moment. In this place in Kamsapira where we were, there are statues, and there's a statue of this with the man peering in through the door and the baby Jesus holding his arms out to St. Anthony. Now, obviously, we have St. Anthony holding the baby mm. Jesus, so that's where the, 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 the connection there is. There's also, of course, the lilies. The lilies are blessed as well, and, you know, there, there, there's so much kind yes. of stories for a man that died at the age of 36. By the way, he was young when he was died. Was he? Indeed? I, I didn't realise that he at all. He died at 36, and he was one of the, the earliest uh, to be made a saint. Within the year he was made a saint, um, canonised by Pope Gregory the Ninth, uh, less than a year later, which was obviously very quick in those days. So his work was well recognised in Rome uh, during well, well his lifetime. Yeah. He was a great preacher. Yeah. Uh, there's a walnut tree, which is very famous as well, in this Campus of Hera where he kind of would, would go up in the walnut tree and he would preach as well. So it's his preaching and his love of confessions, like mm. encouraging people to go to confession and, you know, to, to be relieved of sins and, you know, to, to be free. And the whole idea of, uh, you know, finding things, being yes. lost and everything, that, that great tradition has continued and, and is strengthened uh, because there's, like everything, there's stories. Someone had lost something and they asked St. Anthony to find it. And it was found literally as soon as they turned around. It was it was behind them basically. So there's these kind of stories that that kind of develop and everything. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting story. It's fascinating, so, isn't? And yeah. is he as popular in other countries? I'm sure in Italy he probably is. But he, he is like he's a patron of, of Portugal. Mm. Um, where where he is in Padua is uh, he died on the way to Padua there, so that's where his remains mm. are. And they they have a reliquary in the basilica. So they call it, they don't call it St. Anthony's Basilica, they call it the saint, where the saint is, the santo. Because everybody in Padua knows when you're going to the santo, you're going to see St. Anthony. You don't even have to name him. Everyone knows that he's, he's connected there. But they have reliquary, like relics of his teeth and his um, vocal cords and everything at the back of the basilica. But his actual tomb is, you don't see any bones or anything like, or, mm. or kind of any corpus like you would see in St. Bernadette in Lourdes yes. or Padre Pio in San Giovanni. But it's, in, it's kind of in a, it's on a side chapel, but there's always a huge queue to go around. And there's kind of like black marble where people touch and pray and they keep going around and then on the front of the altar. I was lucky because we actually stayed, there was a group of 40 of us, we stayed literally across the road from the, um, from the basilica. So I was there most mornings very early, about quarter past six. And I was privileged to sit there one day for 20 minutes and no one around. As if I'd gone in later on, there'd be big queues coming in. And what was that like, Michael? Was oh, it? I mean, it, it's just so honourable just to be praying and offering petitions. Um, Fran, I asked people, like as you know, I, I say the Mass on RCE, and I said to people, you know, if you have any petitions, yeah. you know, just send them in to me and I'm happy to bring them over. I think we brought about 5,000 petitions. Wow. We had, a, you know, the small suitcases you can bring on some flights. Yes. That was full of petitions, just pieces of paper with the petitions. That's what we brought from Ireland. So we said Mass in Padua, I placed it on the tomb, and then luckily the, the security guard recognised I was a priest and allowed me to go in and actually put it right by the tomb. And they're then taken away and, and offered, the, the friars themselves offered the prayers there directly as well. So, I mean, that's why I wasn't surprised mm. that he was Ireland's favourite saint, because 
you know, the amount of petitions I received and calls and, you know, emails to say, will you say this prayer? Will you ask St. Anthony for this? You know, it, it's yes. a great intercessory prayer and in that. It gives people great hope and great faith. And is he associated with miracles, Father Michael, is he? There would be, like any saint would be associated with miracles. Now, I don't know how the full details of that, yes. but obviously finding things, you know, is, is the big thing, yeah. you know, with, with St. Anthony, and that goes back as well. But he's preaching, particularly his preaching and his love of the confessional and mm. his love of scripture was one of the reasons why he, he, he became a saint. I, I just read, then, read a little of him last night. He was a bit yeah. before his time in terms of he was a great peacemaker and he called for justice a lot. And I'm gathering it was kind of social justice in, in his own way. He did. He tried to kind of get reconciliation between the Orthodox Christians and the Roman Christians, you could say. And a lot of his work was based on that as well. And he very much tried to bring people together as well. Um, but social justice was, was obviously a big thing as well. Like many of the saints, like Padre Pio is mm. a great confessor but if you crossed him he was a very angry man I believe so, you know yes. and people yes. would even people who, who knew him are still alive thank god today mm. would say he'd be very cross and very angry and he'd be very bad tempered mm. and yes he's a saint you know yes. so well, he was human all, all course, saints yes. are humans yeah. you know we're all yeah. human at the end of the day but um yeah it was it was lovely to hear that he was and as i say i texted bishop nelson they were actually here and you know he was surprised at that but uh yeah, uh, it, 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 it was a wonderful thing to do, just to ask people what... Because I think in the last few years, in the ploughing, they've asked what's Ireland's favourite prayer, what's Ireland's favourite hymn, yes. and now Ireland's favourite saint. They did it, I think, 10 years ago among another community, and he was still top then as well. It's so incredible, isn't it? I, I, I would have... Patrick and Bridget would be a bit upset, but anyway, I'm sure <laughs> just thinking, I would have bet on Bridget or Patrick, but it just goes to show you. It's amazing. Um, Bishop Nulty, he came in for a bit of critique... Uh, around the whole notion of having some sort of a competition among the, the saints. I was listening to, to uh, Joe Duffy one of the days and people right. were a little bit incensed about it. But, I mean, you, I presume you don't see anything wrong with it. It's a bit of fun as well as everything else, isn't it? It was a bit, like, it's just a kind of light-hearted thing and it was kind of a, a way of getting people into, his, you know, because yeah. obviously it's in the Kildare uh, Diocese and getting people engaged with the church and that. It's just asking people, who is your favourite saint? And just kind of, you know, naming it. It wasn't a competition. You don't, I don't think, I, I don't think St. Anthony's going to get a gift voucher from Duns for getting this now. <laughs> but it was just kind of, it's just nice to ask people, and, and we're talking about it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? We're, of course, we're talking yes. about something there. And as I say, St. Anthony's is the kind of saint that, even if people don't regularly go to church, or, you know, not church goes and everything, that, St. Anthony is someone that everybody kind of knows of from their early yeah, years. for sure. Or they've got to know, because the statue itself is kind of a queer, you know, you'd, you'd say, well, why is he holding a book and a baby, and what's the lily about? And you go and search, research these things, like any saint or any kind of historical person, not even hmm. religious. But, but it's a great you know, story so. as well as everything else. That, that notion of intercession, Father Michael, intrigues <laughs> me. And he, he's seen as having a particular intercession with God, is he not? Yeah, and I think because of what happened in Campus de Pero, because um, of the, the light that this, the, 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 the innkeeper kind of described this light as indescribable. He yes. said he just didn't know where this light was. Obviously, you're looking back to the 12th century, so it wasn't a lamp or anything like that. And to be drawn to us and to see the image of G the baby Jesus holding his arms out to Francis and there are statues there. There was a statue there, Fran, which really affected me. Uh, there was a couple of statues there. They're kind of bronze statues outside, so they're kind of well done. I took loads of pictures, of course. One was our, our Lord, the agony in the garden, and I took the, the, the picture above where he's actually, you see the tears. But there was one where uh, St. Francis had died. So 
sorry, St. Anthony had died. Sorry, St. Mm. Anthony was, was lying dead. And there was a, a monk praying beside him. And in the background was Jesus in his resurrected form. And what you see is the hand of St. Anthony holding on to the cloak of Jesus in his resurrection form. But the cloak passes through the man praying. And that, for me, struck a chord because the day after we had a mass for all those who had died, like family and friends and those who died recently, remembered everybody. And I said, that, for me, struck something because it's like when we pray for the dead, we are praying that they will reach out to Christ and our prayers help that reaching out and that kind of it just struck a chord with me without any description of the the artwork any description of the statue itself it just struck a chord with me and I really and I took pictures from all angles to see yes. the detail in it and everything I mean it was just fascinating to see and it kind of allowed me to say that when we pray for our dead we are praying that through our prayers they will rise on the last day and that is the central of our faith and it was just wonderful to see saint anthony you know his right hand clasping out to christ even as a saint himself at 36 um you know and it, it just struck a chord in me you know it's something that i took from it and so. you speak about the franciscans have i got my years right was he a contemporary of saint francis though was he, he yeah, so he was assigned by Francis himself to go to um, Romagna, and he, he, he did meet Francis at one time, but he joined the Franciscans because, as I say, uh, he encountered that yes. five early Franciscans were, were martyrs, and he kind of followed the Franciscan mm. way. So that's why I call him Francis. I sometimes get the two of them mixed up mm. myself, you mm. know. Um, because they're very similar in stature and the times and everything. But obviously, the Franciscan Friary, you have St. Anthony's Novena, and there's always the connection there. Um, but yeah, he was a Franciscan, and the Franciscans are in Padua at the moment in, in the Basilica as well. So, um, mm. And, and yeah, those who yeah. travelled with you on the pilgrimage, did they get a lot from, from the trip? Yeah, I mean, some had been before. Yes. Uh, some had been three times with me before. This is my third time going on the pilgrimage, so they keep going back to, for petitions. And it's, it's just wonderful because there was, I think there was 25 from our area and there was 15 who joined us from around the country. You know, so there's yes. people I haven't met before and they just joined us as a pilgrimage. And because it's so well organised, uh, we have a tour guide called Mario. Uh, he and his late wife, sadly, his wife only died there last year. The two of them used to always be brilliant. He is still brilliant. But we went to a place um, which is about two miles from Padua. And it is Our Lady of the Crown, Our Lady of the Corona. And it's literally a, a church into the, built into the side of a high mountain. So you have to go to it quite high and you get a bus to it and you walk a little bit. But if you see the pictures on Facebook, Fran, mm. the, the, the spire of the church is actually in the rock. And the back of the church, there's no back wall of the church. The back wall of the church is actually the side of the rock wow. where the sanctuary is. Mm. And it's one of the most fantastic places I've ever seen of a church. How magnificent it is. As soon as you go outside, you're touching the rock face and looking across near to Lake Garda, quite high up, but so safe as well. Yes. And, you know, so it wasn't just St. Anthony we did, you know, we went there as well. Um, but, it, you know, pilgrimage, like for any person, I always say to people, when you leave on pilgrimage now, the home comforts won't be there. Mm. There won't be bacon and cabbage. <laughs> you have to ask for cold milk if you want English breakfast tea. Yes. You won't have lions. There's no Brennan's bread or potatoes or other... <laughs> Prices <laughs> available. It's all Italian. Yes. Some people bring their own pot noodles. Some people bring their <laughs> own things. 
and you're eating a lot of pasta or ice cream. Ice creams are brilliant. Mm. Um, but it, but it, as a pilgrimage itself, you bring your prayers and petitions there. And I think everybody, we had a fantastic group. Everyone had a wonderful time. Um, it wasn't too hot for most of it. One day it rained. But it, it is very much, uh, it's not so much a holiday. A pilgrimage is really, you come out of your comfort zone mm. and you put yourself literally into the hands of God or into the hands of our tour guide. And we go around in these places. Um, I did a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, just myself and my mother, privately a number of years ago, and to walk the, the, the steps of Jesus. And now when I come back and preach about things that happened to Jesus, and I say, I was there, and I know what it looks like, I can now understand it and appreciate it a little bit better because I was there. Um, so it, it, it's a wonderful opportunity to do. It, it's very tiring. It yes. can take a lot out of you, but it's wonderful to do as well. Um, yes. And I'd encourage anyone, you know, any kind of pilgrimage, like we have Log Derg, we have, you know, Knock, people can go there for a few days, just to take a chill out from the normal day to day and just sit and be quiet and, you know, just take in what we have. We, we, we all could do with that, that's for sure. Father Michael, yep. it's always a pleasure and thank Thanks you so Frank. much Keep for taking today, time everyone. out for us. Mind yourselves. Thank God you. Bless. Thank you. You too, then. Thank you very much indeed. Father Michael Toomey uh, speaking to us there, um, just back from Padua where uh, St. Anthony is uh, buried. And just in case you've just joined us, we've been uh, speaking about the fact that St. Anthony has won that competition. Seems a bit strange to be saying that. But anyway, he won the competition to find Ireland's favourite saint. Do you have any stories about uh, St. Anthony? A couple of people I know whose faith would be, um, shall I say, questionable. Um, (laughs) would be devoted to St. Anthony whenever they lose anything immediately. Money changes hands and all of that. Anyway, 083-311-3311. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Wake up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Still on the subject of St. Anthony, one of our listeners says, Good morning, Fran. When they were closing the friary in Clonmel, nobody was up in arms about it, where our beloved St. Anthony has been adored for hundreds of years. Now it's all about St. Anthony. And uh, we're lost without the friary and the good saint. Um, Catherine, though, feels that no human being is to be prayed to. The first commandment, uh, God's own words, says Catherine. On the notion of a Drew flu, uh, one of our listeners saying, I would not uh, support the guards as they would have too much control. For the first time, I felt comfort that Drew Harris was cleaning up the guardy and not afraid to call out matters within the force that needed to be cleaned up. Um, Joan was on to say I was part of that group that went to Padua with Father Toomey it was such a lovely trip with a lovely group of people great memories, new friends made as well and thank you so much to Father Michael and to dear Mario as well and that's Joan who's in Grange Mokler today Now we're well aware of the huge problems we have in the county with illegal dumping and one listener was in contact with us to highlight the growing problem in an area of North Tipperary. James joins me now. James, good morning to you. Uh, 
Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today and thanks for coming on with us. Will you tell me about the area that you are concerned about, James? Yes, Fran. Yeah, it's, it's the, uh, the old uh, Macabar open cast mine uh, facility at uh, Silver Mines. And um, it's the uh, it's, there, it, it, it's an open-cast mine, which is the proposed plant, uh, site for the new hydroelectric plant. But there's there's an ongoing issue here with fly tipping of, of domestic rubbish and um, industrial rubbish as, um, for the last number. Mm. And I'm gathering, James, that it's on a very large scale, is it? Sorry? I'm gathering that this dumping is on a large scale, is it? There's lots yeah, of dumping. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. yeah. it's ongoing, yeah. And it, it's the dumping of domestic rubbish um, and also of electrical goods like washing machines, old furniture, etc. And um, everything and anything, really. And they're also burning the rubbish on site so that it can't be traced. <clears throat> so this, you know, this, this is, the, this is mm. totally unacceptable in, in this day and age, you know. And the so, the kind of levels of rubbish you're talking about, I mean, for instance, would it take a, a, a truck to bring it, or is it just people arriving in? Yeah, it's, by, in, yeah, it's been brought by and trailers and trucks, and I believe. And wow. um, the you know it, the, 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 the there is <clears throat> there's, there's just one access point in, into the into the site, and this is a massive site. Yes, but it, you know it's, it it has its own um, basically it's a man-made lake now. Uh, made out of the mountain where they extracted all the the ore over the years, mm. and um, there's only one entrance gate, which is which is a, a metal gate, which could be at, uh, if you know properly, it could be locked at times to keep people out. Um, there is a right of way for a number of farmers who have land uh, adjoining the site, and they have no way, no other way of getting in. But they, they, the the site is totally unsupervised. Um, and there's absolutely no no one looking after the place. So there's no security uh, there at all. No, 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 not, not none at all. And um, they, they, I believe that they, <clears throat> the, the, the site was sold uh, in the 1990s when Macabar were leaving leaving Ireland, and it was sold to a private individual for um, um, a nominal uh, sum of money, mm. and. Um, I'm not even sure who who owns who owns the the the, the, the place at the moment. But well, um, well I, I know that there's needs, ongoing. Needs to be contacted and asked yeah. to to you know step up to the plate like and and get to, and um, get his act together like. Yeah, there's there's development ongoing there. I know, James. The project is entering phase four. Uh, following on yeah. board Planola, yeah. uh, manual or permit granting process happening there. So there, there is stuff happening, but you're saying that uh, there, there appears to be no security on the site and this dumping. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, how bad is it? I mean, it, it, I presume it looks appalling, well, does it? <clears throat> well, you'd, you'd have to see it to believe it, really, you know. It's, it, as I say, it's a massive site and they're just dumping all over the place. And the three, the, 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 they set fire to two. The rubbish as well under you know <clears throat> foliage and there's some trees have been burned as well you know so it's um you know this this, this present site is you know it, it's 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 a mining heritage site really you know over of 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 the mining that took place yes in this area over 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 the centuries and it is uh, it is uh, you know 
but it is a heritage site for for our, for our mining, you know. Right. So who are and, you calling uh, on here, James? Who are you calling on to do something about this? Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> somebody has to take take a responsibility for the place, and hmm. uh, I've asked the county council to have a look. They should, I uh, think, come on board and, um, you know, um, get in touch with with the interested parties who owned, who owned this hmm. site. And are, um, are you are you living local to it? Yeah, I'm living locally. Yeah. And yeah, does yeah. it have an effect on the quality of your life and your, your property? For well, um, it doesn't. I, I, I mean, unless you go onto the site and see what's going on. Yes. I, I live nearby, you know, about a mile away. But um, mm. basically, you know, all it needs is that that entrance to be to be supervised, or else lock the gate and give give keys to the uh, people who need access. Mm. And to organise, just get things organised a bit. They could put up, they could close circuit TV could be put up at the entrance to catch um, to catch people going yes. in and out. You know, to find out who's doing this. Well, I was talking to Ellie about this, and I think she may be in negotiation with with you to to get up there and maybe have a look at the site and maybe do something yeah. uh, in situ up there, and then we can can find out more. James, really good to talk to you today, and thanks yeah. for thanks for highlighting that for us uh, today. That's James there with great uh, concerns about that uh, property around uh, Silver Mines. There, let's go to Nina now and to Rita. Rita, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? And uh, commiserations to you, Rita, because no water. No water. Came no out water. this morning, turned on the tap, no water. I don't know why I actually put water in the kettle last night because I never really think about it. I just take, take it for granted, which yeah. we always do. But this is the first time I we've been without water, even with burst pipes. If they're up the road from us, we still have water. But this time it was just completely gone. I have no water for the toilet and no water for... Uh, tea, things like that, so I have to get my daughter to bring me bottled water. Oh, Lord. And have you any indication of what the issue is, Rita? Well, I think it was last week. There was a big break. I think it could have been... I'm not sure if it was in the, the Ballina area or the Nina area. Mm. There was a big break now, and I, maybe it was big temporary, and maybe this is part of it. But... um like, there was no warning. They never said to people we'd be turning off the water, the water would be off for such a time, or anything like that. If we had to know that, we could have filled up pots, kettles, or whatever, and had enough to keep us going. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm on my own now at the moment. I lost my husband four months ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Rita. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was sudden, really. But, um... So I'm basically on my own, like, with my family, but I can contact them. I, I'm not in a very bad situation, like, you know. But there's people worse off, I'd say, that um, can't get anyone to get the water. Yeah, from Irish Water, from the website, uh, Ali is just telling me that they're, they're saying that there's repairs to a burst water main and it may cause supply disruptions to Garenmore, Nina, Newtown and surrounding areas in Tipperary and work schedules uh, to take place until 8pm on uh, the 27th. So that's 8pm tonight. That's tonight. That's tonight. So we're going to be without water the whole day. Uh, the whole day and uh, they recommend that you will allow two to three hours after that for your supply to fully return. So it could be 11, 12 o'clock tonight. Oh, my God. I'm not helping you here, really, Rita. Sure, oh, no, you're doing great, friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my God. And, and do you know, I hate being without water. I, am, I, I have no patience for it whatsoever. Oh, well, this is the first time, I think, since we had the water here, I don't know, many years ago, that we've actually, I've actually had no water. Like, we might be out for an hour or two hours, but never anything like this. And I can't even light the range because there's a boiler at the back. Right. And of like, course, you know... But, yeah. um, and the irony is, if you look out your window, I'll bet you're seeing plenty of water. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> the one country where, where there's so much water, we seem to be running out of it all the time. And do you know, at the risk of boring people, but we could dedicate every show every day to water outages around this county. I know. Would you believe and that, to, Rita? And yeah. I tried to ring that number they gave on the the radio, yeah. but you're all I got with boop, boop. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. There's no, there's no reply, no nothing. And I don't mean to be patronising to you, but would you have access to a computer to be able to look at their website, for example? And... Well, I had actually, but I didn't even think it had. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the... I'm not. I'm. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm fine with the computer. I get it up and I look at it, but if something goes wrong, I just close it up and put it away. I know. I know. <laughs> I, and, you know. And you're right but... too. And you're right too. So I think it's going to be at least eight o'clock tonight, Rita, where 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 that is uh, concerned. Oh. Gosh. And and four months ago, Risa, so you're, you're still grieving, aren't you? You're still. I am, yeah. I'm, I'm finding it very, very difficult, friend. Um, the thing is, friend, unless you go through it yourself, you oh, don't sure realise what it's like. And how long were you married, Rita? Uh, we were married 55 years, and I oh, knew him for three beforehand. Oh, my God. So, 58 years. So, your your lifelong partner. Yeah. My lifelong partner, yeah. We have four children, we have 11 grandchildren, I have one great grandchild. Yes. Do you know, but. Um, yeah. He was lovely, he was, he was good, he was kind. We had our ups and downs, that like, just like sure. everybody else, sure. like, you know, but then there was only the two of us in the latter end and uh, for a good few years, and we kind of got used to being with one another, and um, now I expect to see him outside the window or coming in the door, uh, or, yeah. like, you know, it's, um, it, it's difficult, but um, the only consolation I have is... Um, I got him home, and he died uh, in the room he was born in, oh, and yeah. he went very peaceful. He had no pain or anything, so um, that's the one consolation I have. But you looked after him at home, which was... was I looked after him at home. We, well, we had palliative care, mm. but we kept him at home for the left end. They wanted to send him to, back to Limerick for a test, but... I said, no, I said, he's coming home. And he came home and it was on a Monday evening and he died on the Saturday. Oh, my God. So at least he, he got home, which is what he wanted. I'm, I'm sure it was. Uh, yes, indeed. But it was. He, he wanted to come home. You're on, I, I know you have a great family, but you're on your own, essentially, now. Is that... Oh, I am, yeah. I'm on my own, like, you know. Is that tough for you, Rita? Yeah. lives and, like, yeah. you know, you can't expect people to put their lives on hold just because you're down. Now, they are very good. Like, yeah, one of my daughters calls me on a Tuesday, another calls on a Thursday, my son comes in the morning and evening. And that, like, you know, so basically I have somebody, but most of the time I'm on my own, and I find the mornings very hard. Because he was always bringing my breakfast. People said I was spoiled. He used to bring in my breakfast. Did he, and, indeed? Oh, yeah, and left my lunch ready for me when I get up. <laughs> well, I tell you, that's rare, Rita. That's, that's, it's very rare, that's but very he rare. was so kind, and, I mean, he was... He was a wonderful man, really and truly. He was, and um, he worked for years in DSB, and uh, he was. He was very mm. kind, very good, and that, like you know, he'd always make sure I'd have something or have enough before he'd look after it himself, like you know. 
Well, that's, a, that's a lovely tribute to him, uh, Rita. And, uh, and <laughs> delighted we could remember him today in the midst of your water problems. But, I but, know, yeah. Today is the fourth anniversary, fourth month, like. Oh, is it? Today, today is yes. Fourth, 27th, 8th, 27th of May. Oh, God, and you'll have so many of these milestones now as well. Oh, like. I'll go through. I, I know that, like, these yeah. days I don't even get out of bed and... That I can up, but then I'm fine. I get up, I get over that. I go around, I go to town or back. But I find when I go to town and come back, I don't want to go out again. Like, you know, it's not it's not easy. Like, even this morning, I found there was no water. I had a cup of tea and get back to bed. <laughs> I know, I know. But still, it's important that you would get out, Rita, I suppose, you know. Oh, it is, yeah. Like, you know, and, yeah, I, I have I know. to start back, but yeah. it's not easy. I just have to pass the cemetery where he's buried every time I go up and down the road. Well, Rita, we'll check in on you, and uh, we'll we'll see what's the story with the water. And if we find out more, we'll get back to you, Rita. Is that okay? That's great. Thank you All very right. much, Fran. And, and condolences and thank you for to you again. Oh, sure. I'll listen to you anytime, Rita. You look right. after thank yourself. Thank you very much, Fran. You're very good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Rita and Nina there with some water issues. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, local uh, elections next year, of course, um, and uh, European elections as well. People are uh, due to go to the polls probably next uh, June, but there are a couple of variables that could make uh, the election interesting in Tipperary. One of these, obviously, the changes to the uh, boundaries where the general election is uh, concerned. But uh, where the local elections are concerned, a little-known fact that you don't have to be a citizen of Ireland to vote in the elections. You simply need to be resident uh, to the area with a PPS number. So with the influx of uh, immigrants to uh, the county and indeed to the country, uh, could that have a bearing on the result? I'm glad to be joined now um, by Professor Gary Murphy from the School of Law and Government at DCU. Good morning to you, Gary. Hi, Fran. Happy to be here. And uh, thank you so much for making time for us uh, this morning. Before I speak to you about the local elections, should I just get your opinion on uh, the boundaries where Tipperary is concerned? Two, three-seaters now, but a big talking point, of course, that decision to bring in the electoral areas of Erlingford and Freshford and their surrounding areas as as well. What did you make of that? Well, I I think it's reasonable that um, Tipperary become one, uh, one full constituency again. Um, I think three-seaters by their very nature um, make it difficult for, for smaller parties. So, uh, you know, the idea of moving from uh, five to threes, and one way it gives Tipperary an extra representative, but it makes it more difficult, I think, for, for smaller parties, for, for independents, although we know there are two very strong independents in Tipperary North, uh, Michael Lowry in Tipperary South, uh, Matty McGrath. But yes. obviously breaching the, the county boundary goes against the... The Electoral Commission's own sort of rationale, which is mm. not to break uh, county boundaries, and I know that they're uh, very upset in uh, in those parts of Kilkenny, Freshford, Arlingford, Hurling uh, Country. You might think, although being from Cork, I mightn't think it, or you either from Tipperary, <laughs> France. Indeed. But it's, uh, um, yes. I saw John McGuinness complaining bitterly about this when the uh, the report was issued. So, so in one way, I, I think more representation is better. But I think breaching the county boundaries in in such an egregious fashion in one way culturally uh, and I think that's the important point there are clearly cultural differences uh, if we just take mm-hmm. the hurling between um, uh, Kilkenny and uh, and Tipperary I, I think the commission 
you know, it hamstrung itself a little bit or was hamstrung by the uh, by the doll um, when it said it couldn't have six key constituencies. And that's made things a little bit more uh, tricky. We're waiting to this idea of three, four uh, and uh, and five. Uh, Tipperary would be very interesting, of course, because Fine Gael will be seeking to gain a seat back, uh, not having any, uh, with the... Um, uh, obviously, with the whole Michael Lowry saga going over the last couple of decades, uh, Sinn Féin be looking for a seat in both Tipperary North and Tipperary South. So, so interesting times ahead. But, uh, but I, I do think the, consider, the the commission has made things a little bit tricky for itself with the way it's divided up between Tipperary North and Tipperary South. Yeah, and with the extra fourteen TDs um, uh, nationwide as well, Gary, they they were on the conservative side of what they had the power to do. So I'm just wondering. I mean, next the the general election after next. There, there could well be more changes to the boundaries. Yeah, I mean, we are again. I mean, all this is, is predicated on the uh, on the constitution, which says we should have one TD to every twenty to thirty thousand uh, electors or, or voters. Um, and with an increasing population, that will ne- necessitate increasing uh, numbers. I know some people think we, we have too many TDs as it is, and we mm-hmm. don't need yeah. uh, 174. Or the, the commission could have went up to 181. Uh, it didn't, and, and I thought it might because I, I did. I didn't think it wanted some stability going uh, forward. But the, the commissioner, Arthur O'Leary, and his colleagues said that they were just doing it for this particular election or for the next election, and they would leave the election after that sort of look after. Uh, itself, and we will have uh, another review. Um, so, so I, I think, but by unless we change the constitution in uh, in some way, we are going to have a scenario over the course of the next uh, two decades where we're probably going to go up to close to uh, to 200 TDs. I know. I think a lot of us might think that that is probably uh, too many. Like in general, I, I'm in favour of more representation, mm. both at local uh, and uh, and national level. Uh, but I do think you have to sort of uh, draw the the line somewhere. And while while we're not overly represented in in, in comparative European terms, I mean we we, we would be akin to some place like Finland, uh, like Denmark. Uh, obviously, Britain next door is different because the, the sheer size of the population. Yes. They have six hundred and fifty six TDs. I think uh, it is. But uh, what we are unusual with is this constant tinkering around with our. Uh, uh, with our constituents. So just to give you an example, since well, over the last four decades, from about 1977, uh, where you had to read of those famous bongas to know, we've moved from 148 seats to 174. We've, we've been up and down in the 160s. And uh, I think it's time the, the Electoral Commission itself and the Dáil probably had a look to see, can we bring a bit more stability to this whole uh, uh, scenario. And that, that seems to be the general consensus uh, of, from the conversations so, yeah. I, I've heard. on the, And local elections, Gary, am I correct in saying that you don't have to be a citizen of Ireland to vote in the locals? You simply have to be resident with a PPS number? Yes, yeah, you're completely uh, correct, Fran. Uh, so for general elections, you either have to be uh, an Irish citizen or a British citizen, British citizen excuse me, uh, but for uh, for local and uh, local elections and European elections, you just have to be an EU citizen or a, a non-EU citizen. You have to be on the register and you have to have a PPS number. Although if you don't have a PPS number, you can also uh, contact your local, like if you're an asylum seeker, a refugee mm. seeking uh, protection from the from the state, you can still register uh, to vote if you don't have a PPS number or are in the process of of getting one. Um, the important point is to be on the on the register and I live up here in Dublin and there are ads I know on bus shelters now to check the register to see mm. if you can uh, 
if you can vote that that is the advice you, you, you don't automatically get onto the register you have to kind of put yourself onto it um, especially if you're coming uh, from from yes. overseas um, and the idea basically is that those who live locally should have a say in um, in, in local uh, elections and, and do you have to be resident for a period of time Gary is there a well, it's a bit unclear. It's, it's a bit more unclear on that. You, you simply have to get on the uh, on the register. Okay. And then if you apply, uh, if you apply, my understanding is that the, the council, uh, uh, these are all operated by the, the local authorities, uh, excuse me, but by, by, by law, all local authorities must hold up to date uh, registered, and uh, my understanding is, as long as you're on that mm. register, whether you're whether you've just moved in, uh, you've moved from from abroad, you've moved next door from Kilkenny or Cork or whatever, uh, once you're on the register, you are um, uh, you're eligible to vote, and it's very easy to for anyone who is uh, computer literate. Uh, you just simply go online after uh, check the register uh, ie, um, you can see if you are registered. Yes. Certainly, if you're not, you can. Uh, register there, or you can fill in an application form in the old-fashioned way. Uh, contact the council and uh, uh, and send it in. And the the idea, as I said, is that local services um, should be for uh, be for everybody. This has been going on for a number of decades now, without any substantial increase in turnout. But that could change, obviously, with, uh, of, with co- what of course it could. Because in 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 the in the past, I guess this would have had minimal effect on on voting but now yeah. with the influx of immigrants to the country is it possible this time round that it could influence um uh, local elections it certainly is uh, it certainly is um we have a number of uh, of local councillors all across the the state not too many but who are uh, who have been brought born abroad or coming to the country and to make their uh, make their families and their homes uh, here at france uh, the, the, the statistics are, are for local elections are in and about fifty uh, percent. Uh, one in every two persons uh, tends to vote, and that's mm. going back again the last uh, two or three decades. It's been pretty uh, consistent, as we know, they're held with uh, with European elections, and there is no great evidence that, uh, at least that I know of, that we are going to see a massive increase in turnout simply because we have uh, more citizens eligible uh, to vote. Like if you look at local general elections, standard is around the high sixties. Sometimes I'm going to the early uh, 70s, and that has that has that has changed a little bit. Uh, it certainly went up for the sort of uh, earthquake election of 2011, when I think a lot of people were just wanted to vote against mm. uh, against the the Fianna Fáil uh, the government uh, in that election, and you saw their their, their cataclysmic uh, cataclysmically bad uh, results. But it certainly is uh, it is possible. Uh, what we don't see is uh, any evidence of. Uh, New immigrants voting, um, sort of out of filter with uh, uh, with uh, with what we may call uh, the uh, the native Irish in the context of the, the polls are pretty pretty stable. Uh, there's no there doesn't seem to be any impact of any sort of so called far right party. I wrote about this in the Sunday Times yes. last uh, yeah. Sunday. So while the changes are, are, are well, there is potential for change. The the landscape looks kind of predictable uh, enough. It's interesting. Now, of course, the last local elections certainly did not predict what was going to happen in the general election. And I'm thinking particularly, I suppose, Gary of Sinn Féin there. But, I mean, next time round, do you think they could be a litmus test for the general election in some way? Yeah, I mean, 2019, 2020 
actually pretty extraordinary in one way. Um, Sinn Féin had terrible results yeah. in the European and local elections. Uh, it was a, a real knockback for the leadership of Mary Lou Macdonald coming on top of a, a very bad uh, presidential election where I think many in Sinn Féin thought they shouldn't even have ran a candidate. Uh, Leonie Reid up against a very popular president in, in Michael D. Higgins. The local and European elections uh, were very bad. And then something turned in late... Uh, uh, in late 2019, they, there was four uh, four four by-elections. Uh, Sinn Féin uh, won one in, in Dublin uh, Midwest. Mark Ward, who then held his seat with Owner Bryn uh, in in February, uh, and there did seem to be an anti-sort of government um, tide uh, emerging in the uh, in late 19 into into early 20. And then I, I think what may be more important now than in previous elections, I, I think campaigns matter very much. Uh, no, and I don't think anyone could but say that Mary Lou Macdonald had sort of dominated the general mm. election mm. campaign, had both Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin on the back foot. Immediately, you'll remember, listeners will remember that uh, RT were forced uh, to include Mary Lou Macdonald in their last leaders debate when it, it was supposed to be only Mr. Varadkar and Mr. Sure. Uh, Mr. Martin. And so no, 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 no predictability, certainly from... Uh, uh, from May of 2019 to February of 2020. And, you know, and I've thought about that election a lot and, and what were the changes. And, I mean, no one has an easy answer as to why Sinn Féin simply did uh, very well. So I, I, we can just give an example. In, yeah. in Tipperary, I don't think anyone thought Martin Brown would, would, would win his seat. At least I certainly didn't. Mm. If you look at next door in Clare, by the land win, um, so if you look all across the yes, all because across Martin the had lost seat. he had lost his uh, uh, local government seat. In fact, he, well, exactly, you know, so, you know yeah, and, and, yeah. and so we would we would tend to think that that should transfer to the, the general elections, and, and Sinn Fein would have would have a bad day out. But as we know, if they didn't, the sure. polls were suddenly changed, and, and I think that I think we can maybe date that back to uh, 2011. I mean, there's been a volatility in the Irish electoral uh, system since the, since the crash. Uh, of 2008. I mean, Fianna Fáil were decimated but, but not killed off in, in 2011 and actually, in fact, did reasonably well in both the local elections of 14 and the general election of 16 and then did much worse than they thought it would in, in, in 20. And while I think Sinn Féin are clearly on target for a for a good election in um, whether it's in 24 or 25, this is nationally speaking, no, you know, there are no guarantees and sometimes, you know, on 14, 15, you can, you can lose out on, on transfers which might be important in you know, Tipperary, mm. Kilkenny. Mm. Um, so, in that context, I, I certainly wouldn't be putting any uh, any mortgageable money on uh, uh, on Sinn Féin doubling their seats. Uh, for wow. but I, I think they are due, you know, good election. But and for for the coming local elections, yes, I mean, in general, a decent local election because it's so close to a general election so should set you up for a more uh, yeah. for, for a good day. Yeah, but the volatility be... it, it does it, 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 it does exist. Fam, it, I think. It'll be very interesting. That's for sure. Gary, really Indeed. appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you and good no, morning. No, I'd be happy to come back anytime oh, to talk well, about the general election, we, the local. We'd love to, love to have you back. Thanks so much, Gary. That's Great. Professor Gary Murphy there from the School of Law and Government at DCU. News is on the way, but can I just urge you to get in touch with us where health insurance is concerned? Because I'll be speaking to Dermot Good, who is a um, health insurance advisor, about that. If you have a query about your health insurance, will you get in touch with us? 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Hi, 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800-938-007 is our free phone number. You can text on WhatsApp, 083-311-3311. Now, as many as one million people with private health insurance are facing price rises amounting to hundreds of euro between the start of October and early in the new year. Dermot Good is the leading health insurance expert in the country, and he joins me now. Dermot, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Yeah, good to talk to you today. Thanks for making time for us. They blamed the companies have blamed the soaring volume and cost of claims, as well as higher energy and staffing costs, and combined that with the long waiting list for hospitals and consultants. And many people, though, Dermot, at this stage, questioning: Is it worth having health insurance at this point anymore? Yeah, and and you know what, Fran? That's absolutely understandable when you when you see the the level of increases coming through. So, just for your listeners, all insurance companies are going up uh, twice. So this weekend, VHI and Leia will introduce their second price increase. And people need to be very careful because I suppose they're making two mistakes. Number one, people are relying on the average figures that they're quoting. So, for example, you'll see averages of 3%, whereas in reality, the increase might be 6%. And then the second thing is the cumulative effect. So people have forgotten about the increases back in January, (coughs) I beg your pardon, March and April. So when you put the two increases together, um, some people now are facing increases of 15 16%, which is huge. Wow. So for a family, two adults, two children, if they don't shop around, Fran, they could have to pay anything from 200 to 550 extra, so which obviously most people just, just cannot afford that. And by the way, there are, there are ways of avoiding that if you shop around properly. But I think what's going to happen is that a lot of people who are on the, the fringe plans, maybe they, they're barely affording their cover, these latest increases could force them to cancel, which is obviously something we we never want to see. Particularly younger people will probably look at dropping out maybe, and that's that's not good. Not good for them, but not good for the system because the less young people you have in the in the private health insurance system, it just increases the claims cost for everybody else, and then rates go up. So that's that's number one potential consequence. Number two, though, you will see a lot of people who are going to maybe have to reduce their cover uh, to keep it affordable particularly older people who obviously may be on fixed incomes and they're using their cover and they need to keep, you know, really good benefits in place. So so there's no good news in, in this for, for anybody. And I'd love to tell your listeners that, look, the public system has turned a corner and now you can get in very quickly. Okay, you might not get the consultant of your choice or whatever, but maybe you don't really need private cover. Unfortunately, Fran, we're not there. I mean, there have been some improvements, mm. but, like, you know, we're now coming into the winter season, which basically means all aspects of the public health system are going to come under pressure and and that means that really people who want to have quick access to diagnostics and to maybe routine elective treatments and people who just don't want to be on a waiting list for whatever reason, I beg your pardon, they're going to really have to try and hang on to their cover. So the good news, if there is any good news in this to everybody or for everybody is that there are still fantastic deals out there. So for example, Leia Healthcare on their Inspire Plus scheme, that's not going up in October. So the increase in that plan is only about 3.5-4%. Irish Life members, well, Irish Life brought out a completely new set of plans called Health Guide. And those plans did not go up in July. Um, and those plans only went up by maybe about 3 3.5% earlier this year. 
Um, we still have to wait and see if there's any hidden deals with VHI. But for people who shop around properly, um, and particularly people, Fran, who are on the same plan for five years or more yes. and have never really done this properly, those people, not only can they potentially avoid these increases, they can potentially reduce you know, their, their overall cost by a huge chunk, but they really have to shop around. And I think what's going to happen now, these increases will force a lot of people who might ordinarily just let their cover roll over, they now will have no option but to go to the market and shop around mm. properly. And if they do that properly, if they engage properly, they can actually get great deals. I, I've been one of those uh, people that you mentioned there. I just let it roll on from one year to, to the next. And I wouldn't even know how to begin to go about shopping around because my, my problem is comparing one policy to another. Is is that a universal problem, really, Dermot? Is it, you know? it is. It yeah. is. And But you know what, though, here's what people should do. So, for example, if, if, if I have a family right now, and let's just say I'm paying €3,000 for my health insurance for my family, and the bill arrives and it's 3600 well, which, by the way, is likely. Mm. So but my, I can only afford 3000 All I have to do, phone up my existing insurance companies. So sit back, block out half an hour, have a nice, strong mug of coffee or whatever it is will get you through this, okay? Phone mm. them up and simply say to them, there's my cover right now. I cannot afford 3600 My budget is €3,000. Now, I want you to go and look through all your plans, and I want you to recommend me the closest equivalent plan to what I currently have that basically fits that budget of €3,000. And just sit back and let them do all the, the heavy lifting. Let them go sifting through all their plans to come back with something that fits that budget. So telling them what your budget is is, is a mm-hmm. brilliant first step to basically, I suppose, control the conversation. And are they and obliged they... to give you very accurate information when that's concerned, Dermot? Absolutely, they yes. are. And here's the thing now, Fran, right, they have to, because everything is recorded. So, for example, when they come back, and they know, by the way, that you know now exactly what you're doing, right? Mm. And when they come back and say to you, right, Dermot, here, and by the way, you could be very surprised in that a new plan might have come out, which gives you maybe better cover than what you currently have for that budget. People are often shocked sometimes to realise that they've actually got better cover for a lower premium. And that is absolutely possible, especially if you're on a really old scheme. Now, the next thing then, Fran, when they when they basically come back with a plan, you just simply say, great, now you tell me, how does that plan compare to my current plan? What am I losing? Um, and what, 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 what am I gaining? And mm. what stays the same? And here's a real nugget for, for your listeners, because they will have all of your claims on the screen in front of them. So all you have to do, if you like the sound of the plan, all you then have to say is, okay, you can see all my claims that I've had with you previously. If I was on that new plan, would all those claims be paid the exact same? Or would I be worse off in any way? So ask the relevant questions. Keep them on the phone. And then, Fran, if you like what they tell you, then that's it, deal done. Tell them to make the change over the phone. But the key thing is to keep them on the phone and get them to explain everything. If you don't like what they tell you, if they don't have something that gives you the cover you need at that budget, <clears throat> all you do, Fran, is you repeat the exercise with the other two insurance companies. You phone them up and you tell them the plan you have. You tell them your budget and then tell them exactly what's important to you and simply say, right, what have you got that matches that budget but also that gives me as close to what I currently have and do the exact same process with the other two. And the people who invest that little bit of time, Fran, genuinely, never mind the increases, like we have, for example, any of your listeners that are paying more than 1850 per adult, anybody who's on the really old schemes like VHI's Health Plus Extra, that's the old Plan B options, yes, or the Level 2 Hospital with Irish Life Health, or the Essential Plus or Flex schemes with Leia, those plans cost between two and three and a half thousand euro. Anybody on those plans right now 
you are potentially overspending by 500 to 1,000 euro per adult. And I can tell you, you can actually get better cover and still save that money if you shop around properly. So about 50% of Irish consumers don't really shop around properly at all. Okay, And another thing, Fran, as well, another myth, some of your listeners now listening to this will think, okay, I like the idea of getting those savings, but I really don't want to change my insurance company. Mm. I can tell you 50% of people who shop around actually get a better deal with the existing insurer. So you don't necessarily have to change insurance company. But if you don't pick up the phone, and if you don't put the insurance company, you know, uh, to use Jack Charlton's, you know, if you don't put them under pressure, mm. or, Fran, if you're worried, you're nervous, if you have existing conditions, if you're just not confident making the change, or you're fearful of doing the wrong thing or whatever, there are loads of advisors around the country who will basically, they'll charge you a fee, but they will do the heavy lifting for you. And look, if you have to pay a fee of €150, Euro, but you can save five or ten times that, then I would say to your listeners... Just do it. But don't leave it too late because we're now coming in, as you said at the very start, the peak renewal period is upon us from the 1st of October. Over a million people are due to renew. And if they don't engage, Fran, and do something now, they're going to be hit with these massive increases. For example, uh, one adult on the old VHI Plan B options, that help plus extra, Mm. they are facing an increase of €400. Okay, two. So a retired couple on that plan, and there are thousands of them around the country, they're going to get hit with 800 euro for you know for their plan, and I would I would encourage their children, you know, their neighbours, their friends, yeah. you know, do the review for for your mum and dad, for your grandparents, because they're afraid to change and they're afraid they're easily spooked on the phone and they don't understand the jargon. You do it for them, be there with them, be on the phone with them, and I guarantee you, as well as getting them fantastic cover, you will save them a small fortune because too many of those people just auto renew Fran because they're afraid. So that's what people need to do. That's very sound advice indeed. Mary was on to his dermot and she said, and I'm sure a lot of people like Mary, I had health insurance for many years. I had to give it up about eight years ago because I just couldn't afford it. I'm now 61 and I'm wondering, can I get cover again and would it be very expensive because of my age? I'm sure you come across a lot of queries like that, do you? We do. Now, but here's the thing, though. So, so some, well, some good news for Mary and anybody who's in that kind of, you know, who maybe had to cancel cover. So, number one, can anybody take out the cover? Absolutely they can. And every plan is available to everybody. So, Mary can absolutely get back into the system. The second thing is, so, for example, somebody who's 61, the age loadings kick in from 34. So, strictly speaking, Mary has a 27-year age loading. That's 27 by 2, which basically means they will inflate the cost of Mary's cover by about 55, 56%, roughly that, okay? However, Fran, Mary will get full credit for all of her previous memberships. So even though Mary let her cover lapse eight years ago, let's just say Mary had previous cover for 20 years. So that 27-year loading, she will get credit for 20 of those years. So now she only has a seven-year loading. So that means her loading will only be about 14%. So what I would suggest to Mary, the first thing Mary or anybody should do is, before they phone the insurance companies, What's your budget? How much can you afford, right? And I'm going to give, you know, people, so three really good semi-private corporate plans right now. By the way, anybody can join these corporate plans. So the VHI PMI 5210, okay, which is a good scheme, about 1,260. The Irish Live Health Guide 1, which is 1,297. And the Leia Inspire scheme, 1,277 euro. Now, I would suggest to Mary... Phone VHI or phone the insurance companies today. The reason being, if Mary joins today, the increase that's coming in on the 1st of October, she will avoid that increase. Okay, so I would suggest, you know, today or tomorrow before the yes. week is out, I would suggest Mary engages. And all Mary has to do is 
two things, phone her previous insurance company and get confirmation from them as to how many years previous cover she has and then check out those plans that I mentioned and I do it now sooner rather than later just to avoid the 3% increase. But you absolutely, Mary, can get back into the system. Uh, another listener, Dermot, says, myself and my husband, we plain flex 175 Explore. We don't have any major health issues, but we'd like cover for knee and hip surgery and wondering what would Dermot recommend when that is concerned. Yeah, now what I would suggest, so, so that's the layout, that's the Flex 175 Explorer. So that plan right now has gone up to €1,515, okay? It's a good scheme, and it does give full cover for the hips, knees, and shoulders. But what I would suggest they do, you see, it's not a full corporate plan, okay? So what I mean by that now, they don't get any money back on their routine expenses. So I'm not going to save them money, but I would suggest they phone up Leia Healthcare and check out a different plan called Simply Connect. And the reason why Simply Connect, it's the same price, but now it has lower excesses. But the beauty about the Simply Connect scheme, they will now get 50% back on all their outpatient expenses, GP, physiotherapy, consultants fees, routine dental, no excess to pay whatsoever. And they can each get back up to €500 into their hands. So that could be worth an extra €1,000 to them. So it's a better plan than what they currently have with the same insurer. And both plans enable them to keep the full cover for the hips, knees and shoulders. So I would suggest they move off Flex 175 Explore and they can phone Leia today and ask Leia to simply explain how to simply connect compared to my current plan. And find if they like what they hear, Leia will allow them to change their cover immediately. So Leia Healthcare and Irish Life Health will allow members to amend their cover up or down any time throughout the year. Unfortunately, with VHI, you can only make changes from your renewal date. So it's very important now for any of your VHI listeners they really have to shop around properly at that at the renewal time. They get a month's notice and they have 14 days after their renewal date. So, for example, if somebody's renewal date was the 15th of September with VHI, they effectively have up until Friday, have up until the 29th to make any changes. But after that, they're locked in. So hopefully that helps that listener. All right. Um, how does a health insurer assess how much they pay back? It seems to be a different amount every time. Um, now, I'm not too sure on that question so for example so maybe a couple of general points just around that just and hopefully i'm hitting the spot now in terms yes. of the question so number one the beauty with health insurance is that first of all it doesn't matter how often you claim or whether you never claim there are no bonuses for, for not claiming there are no penalties for claiming so in other words claim every single thing you're entitled to now different plans give different levels of refunds on outpatient expenses so as a general rule the older the plan means you may probably get nothing back on outpatient expenses, nothing at all, like the the old Plan B and Plan B excess and so on. They were never designed to give you money back on the routine routine expenses. Mm. If you have a really good modern corporate plan, now those plans give you 50% back, and most plans will give you 50% back, maybe up to 500 euro or even 1,000 euro into your hand. But now some of the latest plans give you up to 3,200, 4,000 euro Without knowing the exact name of the plan that that listener has, Fran, I can't give them a specific answer. But by the way, another general tip for all of your listeners, and a lot of people now listening to this, they have no idea what they're covered for. They have health insurance. They know how much they pay, but they have no idea what their cover is. And that's a good sign because it means you're healthy and they're not using your cover. A really good thing to do is one of these days when you've got 10, 15 minutes to spare, rather than you going down through all the documentation and literally killing yourself trying to understand what what am I covered for or not, don't do that. Phone up your insurance company and once again, have the cup of coffee there and simply sit back and say, here's my policy number. Now, I want you to tell me exactly what I'm covered for on my plan and what I'm not covered for. 
and just sit back and let them go through the benefits and ask them whatever questions. It's a brilliant way of just determining, number one, well, now you know what you're covered for, but also, number two, determining the suitability of your plan. Because, and then the next question while you're on the phone, Fran, is simply say, oh, and by the way, have you launched any other plans that give the same benefits at a lower cost or even give better, better benefits? For a similar premium. So sometimes, for example, Fran, I do a lot of reviews of people's cover, and the first question I'll always ask somebody is, what, what is your objective? And some people want to save money, no problem. Mm. But a lot of people, though, they want to, you know, they don't want to maybe save money, but they want to make sure they're getting the best bang for their book. And lots of times now, there's new plans out where you can get 75% back on GP, or you can get a private room in a, in a private hospital. You can get extra benefits added onto your plan, um, without paying any extra premium. And I would encourage anybody now who's thinking of upgrading their cover, maybe the kids have moved on and you maybe have some extra surplus funds, or maybe now you've turned 50 or turned 60, and obviously as you get older, you want to make sure your cover is, is fit for purpose. Mm. If you're thinking of upgrading the cover, do it when you're healthy. Because if you upgrade your cover today when you're healthy, and if something happens tomorrow, you get the new cover immediately. But if I wait until after a new condition has presented or after something has changed or I've been diagnosed with something, and then, Fran, I upgrade, the insurance companies won't give you the benefit of the extra cover for that condition for two more years. So it's really important. I would say to everybody, like to do with their car insurance or their home insurance, you know, we get people emailing us all the time saying, here's my plan, do I need a review? And if it's a good plan, we're just going to say, no, no, that plan is really good. If you're happy with it, you don't need to do anything. But unfortunately now this year, a lot of people, because of the 10 to 15% price increases, even though they've got good cover, they can't afford it anymore, Fran. That's the problem. So a lot of people now yeah. will have no choice but to shop around, you know. For sure. John is in Thurless, Dermot. He's wondering, is there a cheaper alternative to Irish Life B Fit 3? There is, right? So here's what I would say to you. So the Irish Life B Fit 3 scheme, look, it's still a, it's still a very, very good plan. Right, but a lot of these plans have now gone up in premiums. So that plan right now is over €2,000, about €2,100 from renewal. So two schemes right now I would suggest. Now, bear in mind, some plans with Irish Life are going to change again on the 1st of November. But right now, there's a really good scheme with Irish Life called 4D Health 4, 1870 And it's a private room corporate plan with excellent refunds on, on uh, outpatient expenses. So that person should check out 4D Health 4, first of all. And then there's a new plan that they brought out called Health Guide 3, which I really like, and that plan is 1,624. So there's two options there straight away that could save them anything from, we'll say, 150 euro, 200 euro, to maybe 400 euro, whatever. So definitely just phone up Irish Life and get them to explain the 4D Health 4 and the Health Guide 3 and see how it compares to BFIT 3, and then they can decide which suits them best. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this one here. I'm paying €1,500 a year for myself and two kids under four. I had a claim worth 1600 denied for one of my kids as he wasn't on the policy for longer than six months. I tried to cancel my policy and they wanted an early cancellation fee of €550. Euro. Does that make sense to you, Dermot? Yeah. Now, OK, so so here's the way it works. So just a general answer to this. So if anybody takes out health insurance as a new member, so anybody thinking of joining now, there are waiting periods. So there's no medicals. There's no questionnaires. They won't ask you anything to disclose anything or whatever. But they will say to you, there's no cover for any new conditions for the first six months. There's no cover for maternity for the first 12 months. And any existing conditions that you have before you join will not be covered in hospital for five years. So what may have happened here, and just reading between the lines, is this person may be a new member 
and the condition and bear in mind now all claims are assessed based on the information provided by the medical doctors so the insurance companies have to go by the information provided by whoever the consultant or the gp is it would look like that the condition that this child has was a new condition and they may have not been insured for longer than six months and if they weren't insured for longer than six months that's probably the reason why the claim was denied now just a couple of things on that fran I advise everybody who has health insurance, it doesn't matter if you've got the cheapest or the most expensive plan on the market, always phone your insurance company and check everything in advance. It doesn't matter what the doctor or the secretary of the hospital tells you. Get the procedure code, phone up your insurance company with your policy number, give them the code for the procedure, the name of the consultant you're attending and the hospital you're planning to go to. Now they have to tell you whether you're covered or not. So always check everything in advance so you don't get any nasty surprises like this. Um, that's the first thing. But the second thing is then when the member goes to cancel the policy, see, unfortunately, and I've no good news for this member now, but when you take out a health insurance policy, like, like all policies, like all insurance contracts, it is a 12-month contract. So if you basically go to cancel the cover mid-year, then they, because they paid the full levy on your behalf, they will try and charge you a mid-term cancellation fee or a clawback of the levy. So just no good news for that member whatsoever. I would, though, you know, just that member should check with the insurance company to see exactly on what basis. But it does sound like the claim was rejected because they weren't insured the six months. The only exception to that is if it's an accident. Accidents are covered immediately from the day you join. So I'm sorry, Fran, no good news for that member, I'm afraid. All right. Well, lots of great information there, Dermot. But I mean, you know, people like me who allow things to trundle on for years and years and years, not questioning, we're foolish, aren't we? We need to get off our ass where this is concerned. <laughs> well, you know what, Fran, I'll put it like this. Look, last year we got away very lightly because last year most health insurance plans didn't go up. Yeah. So, you know, it was very easy for people to let it roll over because it was the same price. And look, we, we all we all took that last year. Sometime, in fact, some insurance companies gave people money back last year. So last year was a great year, but we're paying for it this year because the claims are going through the roof. I would just say to all of your listeners now, it's too important that you have good cover, number one, but it's also important you don't overpay by one cent. So don't make it easy on the insurance companies. Don't roll over and take these 10 to 16% price increases. You know, make a phone call, even if it's one call to your existing insurer, and simply just tell them what your budget is and just simply ask them, do you have a lower cost equivalent plan? And if they do, they have to tell you. You know, if they say no, <clears throat> excuse me, well, look, it's, it's the cost of a phone call. Um, and maybe repeat that with the others. But also... And I would encourage people, people get advice on pensions and investments and so on. You know, look, this is too important and the savings are potentially huge. Like, for example, there are free cover offers right now for young children with Leia Healthcare. So if you've got a family of two adults and three children, there's an offer right now where you pay for the eldest child. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. But the other two children, you can get insured for, for free. But wow. if you don't shop around, Fran, you won't get that. <clears throat> I beg your pardon, Fran. I think I'm going to be using my health insurance soon. So, look, I would just suggest to everybody, just, you know, don't be complacent. Make a couple of phone calls. I mean, if they go onto the Total Health Cover website, excuse me, there's a free policy search there. So yes. people can use that, and I update that every month with the best deals in each price category. So you might find something there that, that gives you what you need, and then you phone the insurance companies with maybe the name of the plan, and you get them to... <clears throat> To explain it to yes. you. So and that's, that's, that's some the help. Total Health Cover website, is it? Total Exactly. Health. There's a free policy search there, too, on that. But there's loads. Look, there's the Health Insurance Authority Comparison website. I would say that is a very confusing website. There's a lot of detail mm -hmm. on that or whatever. I mean, to be honest with you, Fran, I would say to people, look, you know, 
just phone your insurance company yeah. and just tell them your budget and just ask them, do they have a, a, a close equivalent to what you have that's less expensive? That's the best right. starting point and, and right they're now obli- for all of you. they're obliged to inform you where that is concerned. Absolutely. To be fair, Fran, to the insurance companies, mm. to be fair to them, they all gear up their call centres for this time of the year. They know people are going to struggle in terms of costs and they want people to phone them to you know so that they can advise them accordingly. They know all the calls are recorded. So keep them on the phone, get them to explain all the differences, get answer all. and by the way, maybe just the last thing on this Fran, yeah. and people laugh at me sometimes when I say this. So tell them everything. So people I, I understand that people are nervous about you know, telling the insurance company what your budget is or telling them mm. your existing mm. conditions. But with health insurance, that's actually to your advantage because all the prices are set. It's not like with car insurance where if you roll over, you might pay, two people might pay different premiums for the exact same cover. With health insurance, the rates are all set. So if I phone my health insurance or a new health insurance company, tell them what procedures you may have to have done. Tell them your underlying conditions. Tell them what hospitals you're, atten- you're attending. Tell them what your concerns are. Tell them your budget. And then they have to then, they've got to take all that on board and then whatever plans they come up with, they have to fit those criteria. So the more specific you are with your with your requirements, it means the more on the button they're going to be in terms of, you know, alternative plans they recommend for you. And then get them to explain exactly what the differences are between your current plan. So tell them your current plan because they'll know the premium straight away from that. So the more, I suppose specific you are, the more definitive their answers will be. And that means you can make an informed decision there and then. And I have to say, when you engage with the insurance companies, all three of them, they are very, very good because they're all regulated and they know they have to give you exact details. So really, the key message is, pick up the phone. Dermot, thank you as always. So informative. Thank you and good morning to you. My That's uh, you. Dermot Good there. Dermot, of course, is the leading health insurance expert in the country. And that website, again, is Total Health Cover if you want to have a look at that for more information. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 311 And of course you can email tip today at tipfm.com at any time at all. Now at the very top of the programme we spoke about the Drew flu. A guard a walkout similar to the blue flu back in 1998 could be on the cards because the GRA is holding a special conference as we speak in Kilkenny uh, following the breakdown in talks with the Garda Commissioner yesterday and uh, Pat joins me online. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and to all your listeners. And good to talk to you today, Pat. What, what do you think about that? Do you go along with the notion of the Garda protesting in this fashion? Now, my own belief is there is a, a, a mechanism there, the Work Relation Commission there, and I believe this is the way this should have went because the whole emphasis is workplace relations and going um, and voting no confidence 
which I don't believe the commissioner will hold uh, to them because I spoke about the, you know, what I see in the commissioner. I see a very experienced guy, but more so I see a very professional man. Now, why I say professional is he will handle things uh, uh, he, the way he believes it should be done. So he'll put aside any of these votes and whatever. And uh, for, not, for it not to go any further than this, I believe uh, they should be in the workplace relations. And this is to promote and maintain good workplace relations. And the key thing is relations. The more you go into this and the more you start going down the road they're going at the moment, the more you're starting to break down the relationship between the two parties. And do you see anything at all in how the Commissioner has behaved where this is concerned? Because essentially, according to the GRA, he's gone back on his own words um, in terms of the difference in the, uh, the rota, for example. So, you know, do you... Now, what he is stating there is we will go into the Workplace Relations Commission and we will uh, sit around the table and we will discuss this and you give your views, we give our side of it and then we'll decide uh, which way we're going to go. So I believe that this is the way it should have been handled day one and then if these talks break down and there is no resolution, you might think of going down the ways they have gone but the first step should have been, I believe, the Workplace place relations. Mm, but what about a guy in a position where 99% of his rank and file members uh, have absolutely no confidence in him, for example, Pat? I mean, if, well, they, if that was the CEO of a company or something like that, I mean, they, they'd, they'd be sent off, you know, they'd be waved goodbye. Well, like, um, you can see the um, sergeants and inspectors are sticking with him, so they believe that things uh, from their side of it are working. So, well, um, I know, well, I mean, well. while, while they didn't vote, uh, have a no-confidence vote in him, they certainly didn't fully agree with what was happening where the roses were concerned. They don't, but like, as I said, for the well-being of all parties now, and this is the Commissioner and the Gardaí, I believe if this was trashed out in the Workplace Relations Commission, it would be good for both sides that we'd actually see that this was discussed around and we'd actually get um, details of both sides because... Uh, naturally enough, we're here, uh, as you said there, the no confidence and the mm. large you know, numbers that voted. But I think, as I said, for the well-being of the whole lot and for this to go down and for this to work out for all sides, mm. I believe this is the proper mechanism should be used. But if he did take that deadline of November 6th uh, off the table, for example, talks could have continued and there would have been a better outcome from yesterday, you know, but he refused to do that. So Yeah, well, he has offered in the last week or so to go in and talk there and, you know, the workplace relations. But why would they so talk he, to him if the deadline is still there, if you know what I mean, Pat? Well, if there's a deadline there, he's basically saying we still have time to discuss this and we, even if you have to go in there every day and discuss this and then uh, he might see stuff that comes out in these talks to actually change that and say, well, look, this was a wrong decision. Now, I believe, and I said to you before, he's a very experienced man. Um, he knows what he's at and a very professional man. So he, he professionally, he won't hold any of this against anybody. He'll go in on a, on a, a negative... Uh, uh, 
a, a, a platform that he'll sit down at the mm. table and talk to these people and listen to their concerns. And then but for everyone... Isn't that the point, the that, he, that he, he won't? I mean, he, he, what he wants is what you're describing, the WRC, but essentially it should be him and his members um, hammering this out, should it not? Well, the dispute is between, from what we can see, and this is from the general public, is the rank-and-file Gardaí um, there. Um, but uh, the AGSI don't seem to have a problem. So this is the Gardaí on the ground and, uh, and the, no, uh, the higher... No, no I, I, I beg your pardon. The AGSI, they do have a problem, but they certainly they did not vote no confidence in the commission. That's the difference. But they do have issues. Yeah, but like for as I said, the one thing with all, with all this now, and this needs to be trashed out for the general public perception of all this, is if they if they were in with the WRC and trashed this out, and then the general public are basically made aware of the problems. But like morale is low, and there's an awful lot of problems within it, and this is for everyone's sake that they need to go down, and that's the reason. I want to come on there. I believe they're, go- you know, they're going down the wrong way, and I want to help this for everyone's sake and for policing more so. Uh, but I believe that this is the proper mechanism. Mm. And uh, I mean, could you see a situation that he could repair relations with the rank and file who believe so completely that he's the wrong man for the job? Well, as I said to you before, he is a very, very professional guy. And when I talk about professional, he is the guy that will go in there and basically what, put all the What are you judging side. that by? What? I'm judging that by, for many of his comments there on interviews he was on and um, stuff he's talked about, he, uh, he speaks highly of all the rank and file. So he's basically wants to keep everyone on, the, on his side, wants to try and deal with it internally. He knows the same as you know and everyone knows. He needs every member of that on Garda Shia Karma on his side for him to do his job. And in any interview I've ever heard him speak about, he speaks highly about every person within that um, mm. Gerda, on Garda Shia Karma. And he basically n- knows as well as everyone knows that he needs every member of that on Garda Shia Karma to help Pat, him you, into you, his job. You'd have experience of negotiation. I mean, why would you keep a deadline on the table? Because that's basically saying to the GRA that, look, I'm not for turning on this, really, you know. So what? what is the negotiation there, you know? The deadline is, as he believes that at the moment, that this is the proper way to go with his experience. Now, if it transpires in at these talks, there's something that he has overlooked or some decision he needs to roll back on, I believe the type of man he is, he has no problem. But I believe with his experience in policing uh, that I can't see a situation coming up that he will have to roll back on this. I believe this is long thought out and he has very experienced people under him in assistant commissioners and everything. So he has a massive um, um, people be underneath him that are making uh, looking into all this and as I said, with all this on board, he believes that this is the proper way. Like you had people say on your programme at times about rural Garda stations closing down mm. and all this kind of stuff. He again came up with a plan that this will work better. So like he believes again yeah, and but, people mean, if, might be a bit offended if, with this. If you take In the some new, rural Garda stations, he was looking at productivity. Yeah, but if you take the new situation where, you know, you have a chief super 
down in Ennis now. And you have essentially um, Tipperary being policed from Ennis. That can't be a good thing, you know. And most people, including the Gardaí, will tell you that that is not a good thing. My idea, and this is my own idea of this, is that he, again, looking at the plan they have, and it is obvious they have a, a, a plan. The plan that they have, the commissioner believes that uh, the person based in Ennis can sit in that office in Ennis and can and roll out a plan. So he has right. no... Um, With a completely uh, depleted force, Pat. You know? Well, the completely depleted force is what he is trying to build up. And as I said, he talks highly of each and every member of that force. So if the force, like as I said, if the force has a problem with mm. him, he seemingly doesn't have a problem with them because, as I said, uh, he's open to negotiations. He's open to build up the morale and basically... But all, he has to do, all he has to do is take the deadline off. The, that, that's not saying a complete rollback. From, take the deadline off. Uh, the table. Well, the and, deadline and, and, is in place. And that makes said, fertile ground then for talks. You know? Yeah, but the deadline is in place with his experience and what he believes. Right, but there's nothing to talk about said, then, the, Pat, if you know what I mean. Well, there is something to talk about because when you go into talks, you're going in with a view that this is the right way. But if somebody there is, around that table comes up with a, a legitimate reason why this will not work, by all means, anybody sensible and anybody that's interested in the policing of this country would say, well, look, that's a very valid point. I take this yes. on board and I'm actually going to bring this back and I'm going to look at this. And this deadline now from this meeting on is taken back until I see uh, and until I explore this. And that's what the talk should be about. Right. Well, that's what it should be about. But, I mean, it lasted nine minutes yesterday. So, like, you know... You see, um, uh, talks like you have to have every side open. And as I said, you have to have people there at the table that are willing to listen and willing, like himself even, uh, do I need to change? But if you have people uh, in there and trying to put their views, ram it down your throat and they're not willing to listen to one single word, you're at nothing. And I'd love your, your opinion because you, you speak in glowing terms about Drew Harris and, and that's your opinion and you're entitled to it. But what about others arguing that he's come from a, a jurisdiction that's very different to the one that he's in now? He's surrounding himself with people um, from his previous life and that's dictating uh, the future of, uh, of policing in, in, in the South. See, Do you have I any problem you, with that? Yeah, as I said to you, he's a very experienced man. This man has dealt with uh, extreme situations. And as I said, his experience and uh, is seen right across the board. He knows, and with the people underneath him as well that has come up through the ranks with Angarish Econa, he's all the time interacting with them. So it's not just him. Uh, it's his experience when it comes to the line and a final decision. But like he has people under him feeding him with information, giving him stuff from the ground and they're not from that background. Now even um, like the PSNI are a very experienced um, um, police force. Even Paula Hillman coming in from the PSNI mm. um, she's done a lot with on the spot road checks and the whole lot. She's added an awful lot to it. So like um, I wouldn't down where they came from but mm. at the end of the day his decision is based on the people he has below him that are rank and file, uh, girls that have come up. So he, he doesn't make the final decision. He has a whole team and he interacts with that whole team. 
All right. Well, it's an interesting take on things for sure. Pat, and thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you for that. How do you feel about that? Liam was on to us straight away to say, I can't believe what Pat is saying. Oh, my God, he is totally and uh, completely wrong. It says somebody else saying this chap talking about how great Drew Harris is. Um, Okay, and it goes on to mention a very specific incident, but thank you uh, for that. And I'll just uh, avoid that if you don't mind, because I know it's still um, there's court cases around that and one thing and another as well. Um, Okay, let me glance through that and I'll bring you some more in just uh, a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie The Tip Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Just a heads up that we will be speaking about gardening uh, before the end of the programme. So if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please? 83 311 It appears that Pat, who spoke to me just uh, before news uh, about uh, the Guardian, about uh, the Commissioner, Drew Harris, has annoyed almost everybody in the county, I would say, at uh, this stage. Uh, I love the one, though, from one of our listeners on, on WhatsApp saying, was that Drew Harris's father you were speaking to? <laughs> It's very good. Um, somebody saying, I don't know how Drew Harris is the Garda Commissioner. Here. Commissioner, He was never a Garda. Well, you see, I remember the talk at that time. Everybody thought it was best to go outside of the jurisdiction for a Commissioner. Um, John was on to us uh, to say, ask your guest, why has uh, Commissioner Harris suspended so many members for minor issues if he holds every member in such high regard? James uh, was on to say, that must be like what it is talking to the Commissioner. There's no talking to that man. Um, somebody else saying policing in this country has gone to, and it uses a particular word beginning with F, uh, van stolen off the main street, main street of one of our towns on Monday afternoon. It took the guardie over 45 minutes to arrive at the scene, not fit for purpose like most other services in this country. Somebody else rather abusive about Pat. And look, everybody that comes on here, they get a platform. They, you know, they're entitled to an opinion. Um, so, you know, we don't like it when, when, when you're abusive uh, to somebody who comes on. But anyway, it says, what the hell does this person know um, about Garda morale or Garda in general? Will you get him off the air, please? Mick was on to say, Pat uh, doesn't know what he's on about. The AJSI don't support the commissioner, even though they didn't vote no confidence. Drew Harris is running away with himself and uh, he forced senior guardie to retire while he brought in several retired PSNI officers who are now superintendents and assistant commissioners and the like as well. So anyway, a lot of people are very, very annoyed indeed over that. I think we need to take a small bit of a break and talk about conspiracy. The Conspiracy Files on tip today. 
Uh, I was going to say, Ali, that it's your job to lighten the mood right now, but I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how much lighter the mood's going to be with what you're going to tell us about. It's the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect. It's one of my favourites. I love the Mandela what effect. What is it? I think everyone has one. Now, what the Mandela effect is, it's a situation where a large mass of people believe that an event occurred when officially it did not. Now, it's called the Mandela effect. It was a term first coined around 2009 by a lady called Fiona Broom. She created a website to deal with her observance of this kind of phenomenon. And it all kind of stemmed from a conference that she was at where she was talking to people about how she had very vivid memories of the story that former South African President Nelson Mandela died while he was in prison during the 80s. Now, of course... According to official reports and everything that we know, he did not, of course, die in the 1980s in prison. He passed away later on in 2013. But as Broom was talking about these memories that she had and very vivid memories of live reports in the prison and that his funeral was this huge occasion and remembers Winnie Mandela as well following the coffin and, and being very upset by it. And as she was speaking, there were hundreds of people who got in contact with her to say they had the exact same memories that she did. Down to the very finer points of what Winnie Mandela was wearing the day of the funeral, they all had this very same memory. So she was shocked at the fact that such a large number of people could have such identical memories of an event that didn't exist. And then she began a website to discuss what she called then was the Mandela effect. But it's not specific to Nelson Mandela. And as people discovered, and as uh, this lady Fiona Broom discovered, there are a lot of different examples of the Mandela effect. And just to give you a few of them, Henry VIII is one of them. And I think everyone will remember that famous painting of Henry VIII. A lot of people, I don't know if you remember, that he's eating a turkey leg. I do, I remember it vividly, yeah. Never such a painting. He never held a, a turkey leg in his hand. Now, later on, I think there was edited pictures to show him holding a turkey leg, and maybe there was some confusion in that, but officially there was never, ever a painting painted of Henry VIII where he was holding a turkey leg. Another example, um, and some everyday ones but from Star Wars. My, sorry, Ellie, yeah. I can see it in my head. I know. Yeah. I know. Wait till I shock you even more. Okay. Do you remember the game Monopoly? I do. Do you remember the man on the Monopoly board having a monocle? Absolutely. Never had a monocle. Never, ever had a monocle. Are you serious? Never. Nope. But, but again, I can see it. <laughs> I know. The Mandela effect, Fran. Also, Star Wars wow. is another big one. Even though I think, you know, this was just kind of, I think how people remembered it was different. You might remember, you know, that, that famous line from the episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. And it's where Luke Skywalker discovered that Darth Vader was his father. Now, if you ask anyone... What is that famous mm. line from that movie? They will all say, Luke, I am your father. And they do bad impressions of yeah. it every time. <laughs> yeah. But that's not how the line went. You might be surprised to learn what the line actually was. And here it is. Take a listen. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. So there it is. No, I am your father. It was never Luke, I am your father. So another one then is the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What does the Queen say when she goes in front of the mirror, Fran? I know this one. 
Go on. Murmur on the wall, who's the fairest of them? I say it every morning, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the line. The line is magic mirror on the wall. Here's another clip of this. It can't be. It is. Let me see thy face. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic mirror. <laughs> there you go. Who is the How fairest? do we distort to these things? I don't. There's a lot of reasons for it, and I'll go into them later. Okay. And maybe it's a, it's a case of maybe false memory that our brain is filling in the gaps for us. Just to give you a few more um, other ones. Some odd ones I came across that I hadn't heard of before. The mm. location of New Zealand. Now, where New Zealand is in relation to Australia specifically, if you look at a map, you'll see that it's southeast of the country. But there's a huge community of people who claim to remember that New Zealand was northeast instead of southeast. There are also a big community of people who believe that there used to be another country off the coast of Australia, a smaller island, smaller than New Zealand, and would swear blind that it was in global maps for years. No such country exists, but they would swear that they've seen it. Another one, uh, this might be for the younger cohort, but from Pokemon. You know Pikachu? Mm. The character Mm. Pikachu? Would you remember, think of him in your head now. Do you remember him having a little black bit on the end of his tail? You see, I can't remember Pikachu. Little yellow creature with with black ears. Everyone would remember him having a little black um, end of the tail. Mm. Never did. Always had a solid tail. That's one for some reason drives everyone mad online because they will swear he never did. Mickey Mouse is another kind of minor one that's misremembered. Uh, People often report him wearing suspenders. Do you remember him wearing suspenders? I do. Never wore suspenders. Ah, he did. Never. He did. There's little images of him wearing suspenders. In your head. But it never happened officially. Are you serious? Never happened. He never wore suspenders. Well, he used to play with the suspenders with the, nope. the braces. And, no? Nope. Another one then, Shazam. Um, this might be before your time as well, or maybe after your time. After it. I'm Shazam sure. is, is one of the most well-known examples of the Mandela effect. And this is one that really took off in the US. And it's about a movie called Shazam that starred the actor and comedian Sinbad in the early 90s. He was a big deal in the early 90s. In fact, no such movie actually exists. There is a children's movie called Kazam. And some other coincidences that might help explain maybe why there is confusion about this. So this is one Mandela effect memory that might have an explanation. Listen to this. Many people from around the world remember this classic movie, and you may be one of them. However, what if I told you that there never was a movie called Shazam, and it never starred Sinbad? The movie people are likely thinking about when they claim this film absolutely existed is the 1996 box office flop Kazam, starring NBA legend and guy who's way too tall for most rooms, Shaquille O'Neal. That's right, Shaquille O'Neal was the genie, not Sinbad, who seem to appear in most of the other children's movies around 1996. To this day, there are entire forums dedicated online to the fact that the movie was called Shazam and it starred Sinbad. How can thousands upon thousands be wrong when it never existed? I hope you're going to have a, an answer to that for us uh, before before we finish up. Yeah. Well, they reckon that, that maybe that was the case, that they just got Sinbad mixed up with Shaquille O'Neal and Kazam and Shazam sound quite similar. But, but how it, could so many people get it That's confused? the thing. That is, And there are some people online, if you go through that, I mean, that's a, a real rabbit hole, but they will give you the whole timeline or the whole um, storyline of the movie. And it's not the same as Kazam. 
So people do have very good memories. It was a movie that ne- so it never existed. Never existed. Movie. And this story got so big, in fact, that Sinbad actually had to come out and give a press conference to declare that he never starred in a movie called Shazam. <laughs> it got that big. It's incredible. Now, this is the one that's really going to blow everyone's minds. Okay. When you think of Queen, We Are the Champions, yes. everyone knows that song. Great Played song. after yeah. every match, I think. What are the last words of the song? Uh... We are the champion of, of the world. Of the world. Interesting, Fran. Play the clip. Oh, uh, you're not going to ruin this for me. Are, are you... Okay. We are the champions. We are the champions. Lose them, lose them. We are the champions. Of the world. Of the world. <laughs> Never happened. It, it's not it was on the never recording. in the song. Never. It was never recorded in the song. Isn't that incredible? And did the fans just sing it? That's what they think, that it was just a line that fans added during concerts. And maybe a couple of times I would you might have, have sang it. My house on that. Never happened. Never happened. Are you okay? Do you need to sit down after this? <laughs> I need to lie down, I think, <laughs> say, more than anything else. So, look, when you look at, the, and there are so there are hundreds of other examples, yeah. and I know you have some now because well, obviously just, I pulled one there's, up on you. There's very famous ones um, from the old black and white movies, like Jimmy Cagney. Anybody that does an impression of Jimmy Cagney, you dirty rat. He hmm. never said, you dirty rat, ever. Never In said. any movie? No. No. Is there any explanation for where that would have come from? I think it was a sort of a collage of bits and pieces that he would have said, and tis the style of thing that he would yeah. have said. But Humphrey Bogart, in my favourite movie of all time, Casablanca, never actually said, play it again, Sam. He yeah. said something like, play it, Sam, you know what I want to hear. Yeah. But he never said, play it again, Sam. Isn't it funny? And I have one. Mine is very specific. I get mocked over it all the time. I have very vivid memories of Wales winning the Rugby World Cup. Very, And they never did. Well, I, they might have back in the day, but as far as I know, they haven't. But I have very vivid memories of the Welsh rugby team coming into the Principality Stadium <laughs> at a homecoming. Alan Wynne-Jones lifting the World Cup and Warren Gatland is with them and the stadium is full of Welsh fans. And this never happened? Never, They never won the World Cup, but I have very vivid memories of it. And where would that have come from? I have no idea. And I get mocked at home all the time when the rugby is on. I say, is that the year now Wales won the World Cup? <laughs> And did you try and sort of... I tried, like, I know they were very successful during that time. Um, I think they won a Six Nations under Gatland in his last um, tenure there as coach before now. So maybe I got it mixed up with that, but my memory is the World Cup was what they were holding in the Principality Stadium. Right. Now, that's not quite the Mandela, because it's just you. That, that's it's just, just a me. Memory now, that I've never have. put it out there. Oh, <laughs> So maybe a lot of other people have the memories. <laughs> but so, and, yeah. and that's what it could be down. That could explain it, that <clears> it is false memory. Because, you know, if you look at the Mandela effect, memory can be faulty. And even though we trust it, I mean, neurologically speaking, how our brain acts is if there are gaps, it will fill it in. So it will go by previous experiences that we've had, our own biases, our own personality. And if there are gaps in memories, it will fill it in. So any genuine memory that you have, you can be guaranteed that every memory has some bit of a fill-in that your brain filled in because it forgot part of it. Mm. So that's what it could be down to, that maybe we're misconstruing things, we're remembering it wrong, maybe it's a dream that we had that just stuck in our subconscious. Also, confabulation. Confabulation involves your brain, that's what it is, filling in the gaps in the missing memories and making sense of them. That was spooky, wasn't it? Wasn't just the really lights spooky. just turned off in the studio. Now there's the Mandela effect. <laughs> <laughs> another um, example or another explanation could be that information that you learn after an event 
can change your actual memory of the event. So this could include kind of subtle information and helps explain why eyewitness testimony can be unreliable. Priming also is another factor that could lead to it. This describes the factors leading up to an event that will affect your perception of it. So you could also call this almost suggestibility or presupposition. Um, priming is the difference between asking how short a person is versus how tall a person is. So if I said to you, did you see a black car? Instead of, did you see a car? I am subtly telling you that it's a black it's car. It's a black car. Okay. So you will have that then in your head that it's a black car. Now, the the out there theories for this, for the Mandela, which you know we love. Of course we do, yes. Is that there are alternate realities. And that the Mandela effect originates from... Now, you can really go down the rabbit hole on quantum physics on this, and it relates to the idea that rather than one timeline of events, that there are alternate realities or universes taking place all the time, all around us, and that our timelines get mixed every so often. So, in theory, this would result in groups of people having the same memory because the timeline has been altered as we shift between these two different realities, not just two, but many different realities all the time. Now, it might sound very out there, but it's something that's been spoken about since the early 70s. And Philip K. Dick, he's a science fiction writer, he first brought this theory, uh, and this was way before the Mandela effect was even a thing. Now, his theory, it's very convoluted, it's very complicated, but I found a podcast called The Y-Files Podcast where it's explained very well, and here it is. Science fiction author Philip K. Dick also believed in alternate realities that could bleed into ours. He wrote science fiction classics that were turned into movies like Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report. He also wrote The Man in the High Castle, which is an alternate history novel. Now, in the book, the Allies lost World War II and the Japanese and Nazi forces occupied the United States. But Philip Dick said he didn't just invent this idea. He said he lived it. He said he had visions of this other reality where Hitler won the war. It did not take me long to open the question as to whether it might not be more than that. That in fact, plural realities did exist superimposed onto one another like so many film transparencies. I wrote both novels based on fragmentary residual memories of such a horrid slave state world. He also believed these parallel universes were actually parallel computer simulations. We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. He felt that the computer program, which is our reality, is constantly being updated and each update is an improvement on the last version, like patching software. So his vision of Hitler winning the war really happened. But the programmer, who he calls God, patched our reality. That software patch resulted in Hitler's defeat. Philip Dick says that deja vu is a momentary glitch in our program where variables are changed and a software patch is applied. He also says that Mandela effects, though they weren't called that at the time, are real memories that are carried over from a different reality. One thing I really want you to know, I am aware that the claims I am making, claims of having retrieved buried memories of an alternate present and to have perceived the agency responsible for arranging that alternation, these claims can neither be proved nor can they be even made to sound rational in the usual sense of the word. There you go. Deja vu is a glitch 
in our reality. And it also, if you remember watching The Matrix, they always said that as well, deja vu is a glitch in The Matrix. Mm. So remember that the next time you have deja vu. I have a lot of those uh, moments, well, deja vu. They're changing your computer software a lot then, aren't they? <laughs> They'd want to hurry up and change it a lot better. <laughs> Uh, but there you are. It's very interesting, isn't I it? I feel like that yeah. shook you a little bit, did it? it? It certainly did, because I'm still thinking back to, to the monocle. Yeah, no, nope, never had a monocle. Character. Never had a monocle. You're going to have to prove that to me. You're going to have to show me the, the, the logo. Or I whatever. can't prove something that never existed, friend. <laughs> All right, Ellie, really fascinating Thanks, as always. Friend. And thank you very much indeed for that. And uh, that is, uh, it's, it's sort of fortnightly we're doing that, Ellie, isn't it? Fortnightly, yeah, fortnightly yeah. we're doing it. So, and listen, we're, we're open to suggestions. If there's anything people think is very interesting that they want us to delve into and talk about, absolutely let us know. We'd love to, to delve in. Yeah, because we're hugely interested we love in it. this kind of stuff, yeah. aren't we? Uh, one of our listeners says, Ali, James Cagney actually said, you dirty bellied rat in one of his films when speaking to a killer. Oh. So there you go now. Okay. So the rat is there somewhere. Um, it's the Russians. <laughs> 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 yeah, just simply it's the Russians. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the Russians. All right, thanks, Ed. We'll take a break. Thanks. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And uh, glad uh, to be joined in the studio by Lorna Butler of PDC Coaching. Good morning to you, Lorna. And just, just to remind people about what you do again, just to... Morning, Fran. Thanks a million for having me. I am a, I suppose I'm a professional coach. I deal with people from a life coaching perspective, but also from a professional perspective. So mainly concentrating on understanding the unconscious behaviours, thinking patterns and how they get in our way. Ah, You must have been interested in their last item then, were you? Absolutely. I mean, Convince ourselves of stuff that sort of didn't happen or... Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all kind of stems from, as I was saying to you off air, like it's not what happens to us it's what happens inside of us as a result of what happens to us and that's generally where we form our perspective where we form the memories how they're created because we constantly are creating our reality through our thoughts behaviours interactions uh, relationships so yeah absolutely very interesting and it sort of plays into what we're going to be talking uh, about today you know controlling things that we can control fine but we we're always on about things that we can't control you know and yeah. wasting time on it yeah and absolutely and i think it's probably one of the things that kills most dreams is trying to control what's outside of our control which is what will other people think yeah of and it's 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 so, it mightn't be contained in our conscious reality and we, it might be kind of sitting beneath the surface, but it's, it's one of those things that we tend to focus on. So like if I'm focusing on my relationship with you and it's like, how do I get Fran to like me? If I, will I say something that Fran finds interesting? I, I have no control over whether you find me interesting or whether the topic is interesting or mm. anything like that. But I can spend my time trying to convince myself that I did well or I didn't do well. 
And that then plays into my own behaviours and thinking patterns, both about myself, but also about you. And what you think of me, sure, like, I, I'm never going to know. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. So it's like... Nor, nor should it matter to no, you. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, again, and that comes from the, that self-acceptance piece, like I'm human you know, make mistakes, all of that. So, but it's, it's, it's so consuming and we can spend so much time focusing on what other people think and not let, not that just alone. Like what's also outside of our control is, you know, how others treat me, our past mistakes, people who love me, all of this is outside of our control. We don't get to choose that. That is, sits with the other person. Mm. Um, Mm. And it's, I suppose, today is about understanding that if we're focusing on things that are outside of our control, we're never going to reach a state of acceptance or self-kindness or self-love because it sits outside of ourselves and we don't have that control. And I'd go along with almost everything you're saying, but how do you determine what is in your control and what is outside of your control? So it's... What do you have control over? So again, it's your thoughts, your responsibilities, your actions, your behaviour. So what you do have control over, and you kind of alluded to it there at the beginning, was what I think about myself. Mm. I have control over that. I have control about how I respond to other people. So again, it's kind of sometimes situations and challenges arise and it's about how I choose to respond to that. So we can have automatic reactions or we can actually take a moment and create some space to choose how we want to respond. So we have control over that. How I treat other people, I have control over. Um, Who I surround myself with, I have control over. Um, Boundaries, um, what else is there? Emotions, my emotional reactions, I can once I have enough self-awareness and self-compassion for myself, I can navigate through that space so that I'm not trying to uh, blame other people, which is something we can do quite frequently. Like, you could come home from work in a bad mood and suddenly, you know, I'm I'm interacting with that and you know, I'm now getting upset and frustrated and agitated and annoyed with you, but that doesn't belong to me. That belongs to you and it's choosing to either navigate that space differently rather than blaming you for how I feel. It's very interesting, but you'd have to identify Mm. all of that, Lorna, and that's the problem because this can be happening without you noticing what what's really behind it all. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for most people it does happen like under the surface mm. and a, at an unconscious level because it takes I suppose the work that we would do in relation to working with somebody on this is focusing on their own self-awareness, their own self-acceptance, looking at situations with compassion rather than judgment. But, you know, we can blame people a lot for how we feel or we can try to control someone else's behaviour by wanting them to do something different to what they're doing. But we have, again, no control over that. I might want you to do something, but you don't want to do it. Mm. And yet it's frustrating me. And I'm blaming you for not doing what I want you to do. But right. actually, I have no control over that. You get to choose what you want to do and I need to work on my reactions towards that. How do you get into that place, though? I mean, is it a case that you have to examine every emotion and every every interaction all of the time, is that? 
you kind of can, you can build a general awareness around it and you can ask yourself the question sometimes when we feel angry frustrated upset annoyed by somebody else's behavior it is it's about being curious with yourself what's happening for me that this is causing me to feel this way and is it and then the next question is is this inside my control is this something i have control over or is it not and what in this situation do i have control over which is my own behaviors and i can choose to do something differently about that how somebody treats you or how somebody interacts with you or how somebody might blame you for certain things is a reflection of what's happening for them and not for you and it's it's they own that mm. but it's easier for them to blame somebody else and put it outside of themselves rather than actually taking responsibility I see are women more prone to this than men do you think <laughs> that's a load of questions I know <laughs> What are they? I, I think wonder. I think it's across the spectrum. To be fair to both men and women, um, and I think it's probably um, a little bit. I think women are probably a little bit more conscious of it than than men. But I suppose to do the work on it, really start. You start really small, and you start looking at your own self awareness and how mm. how much you engage with things that are outside of your control and inside of your control, and where you kind of generally sit. And sometimes we can feel like if life is happening to us that can be an indication that things are outside, that you're focusing on things outside of our control. If you feel that like you're you're making decisions and choices that are, you know, you're moving towards something or that are reflective of your life situation, then you can kind of feel more in control of, of what's happening. And that would indicate you have more of an internal focus on, on control. But um, to, to work on it is a slow process. And like a lot of the work that I do with people through the life coaching and professional coaching, because this this shows up both in personal life and professional mm-hmm. life. You know yourself, mm-hmm. it shows up everywhere. We bring ourselves everywhere, as I always say. And so you build slowly, just utilising self-awareness as a, as a tool and gradually kind of looking at situations that have challenged you and kind of unpacking those situations and looking at what you could do differently if they were to occur again. When you gain knowledge like this, um, are people prone to want to change others and maybe make them aware of this as well? Absolutely. <laughs> well, sure, I was going to say, you, and, like... <laughs> and I was going to say, is that dangerous? I mean, okay, yes. you might have this self awareness and this self knowledge, and you want to pass that on to everybody else so that your interactions will be as close to perfect as possible. But some people wouldn't be in that place and yes. willing to take that and on I think I, I think I've learned that as well from the work that I do because <laughs> when I started off initially it was like oh my god I have so much information yes. and knowledge yes. and I want to share it with everybody and you know family and friends and trying to influence what they were doing and how they were thinking and feeling and to be honest if somebody's just not in a place where they want that awareness or want to engage in that way then you're you're probably more in trying to fix people mode than actually trying to be of help. And a lot of the time, people just need to be listened to and heard. And just giving them the space to do that is probably the most important rather than trying to fix or change or get them to... And sometimes shifting perspective can be a good thing, like Mm. by asking them a question or by sharing that information. But you really have to want to do this for yourself and not for... 
and not really want to for me to change everybody around me. That's their responsibility. My responsibility is how I engage with it myself. Listener making a very interesting point, I, th- I think, and um, saying the the notion about not caring what other people think about you. And this listener saying, sometimes I feel like that, but other times I don't. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That sometimes you have that awareness to say, ah, oh, sure, look, you know, whatever they think about me doesn't matter to me. But then you'll get something will, will sort of, you know, ching ching yeah. with you and you'll be crossed. And, Absolutely. You know. And I, I think it's about. It's about recognising that different people can have different impacts on us. So for me, the interesting question is, okay, when you're talking about sometimes it impacts me, sometimes it doesn't. Well, who are the people that it impacts you and who are the people that it doesn't? That that in itself is very interesting. And to be curious about that, because there's something that's showing up for you internally in both of those interactions and both of those relationships. That is information for you. And that when you start to kind of, unpackage that or unpick that you tend to lend that that's what gal is the self-awareness then you're like oh okay that's interesting now that i do that with this person and don't necessarily feel the same when it comes to this person mm. when you have people in front of you and you present this information is it like a light bulb going off in a lot of cases and a lot does, of the does times it become clear yeah, like, you know yeah sometimes it is that light bulb moment but a lot of the the coaching is done through you know a lot of it is is not really i don't really share a huge amount of advice when i'm doing coaching mm-hmm. it's more like curiosity and questioning and so that light bulb moment tends to happen when they re- there's a realization for themselves in their own behaviours and in, in what's happening rather than me sharing my perspective on what I think is happening, if that makes sense. There's a slight nuanced difference in in it. And then we can kind of have a conversation about where else is this showing up in your life and what else is this holding you back in or keeping you stuck in or, you know, because what other people think, it shows up so much in all of the conversations that I have with people on a day-to-day basis. And... Like we re like it's a fear that sits beneath that. You know what I mean? A fear of rejection, a fear of being judged, a fear of not doing it right, a fear like there's mm. so many things that it could potentially be. And what happens, Lorna, when somebody's entire personality or their sense of self is around them being the carer, the warrior, the mm. uh, the mother, the, the the whatever that it, the their view of themselves is all about that. And when you point out to them that that is not the real you or not the essence of you how do they fill that void in some way then or is that is that an issue sometimes it's like a a a sense of of lightness and there's a release or a lack of heaviness with it because when we tend to put ourselves into boxes or labels like i'm a mother i'm a sister i'm a brother i'm a husband i'm a partner all these we tend to focus and kind of almost compartmentalize ourselves. And actually, when you strip back that and none of them are you, they're just roles that you play um, and you kind of really start to understand, well, what are your own needs? What are your own motivations? What are your own desires? Um, and you start kind of looking at that to give them back a sense of self and to give them kind of just opening up that space for them a little bit more than what they potentially would have seen themselves have because we can get hooked on like I'm a mother I have three boys Mm -hmm. myself and Mm -hmm. I can completely immerse my life in minding them and doing everything for them and all that but that won't serve me as a person because it's it's a role I play not who I am I I, I play for 
dancing, for, for social dancing. And I yeah. don't know how many times over the years it would have come across, particularly women, who would have spent the majority of their lives caring for somebody special. That person dies, and then they have to reinvent themselves, literally, because they were a carer. That was their reason for living and their reason for existence. It's very hard to do that then, you know? Absolutely. Like, and it's a very tough situation to be in when you've spent your, you know, you've spent your life caring for somebody mm. and, you know, giving them everything that you yes. had and suddenly now that person's no longer with us and to to even consider and, and contemplate moving into a, a space where you become your own priority. Yes. It's it's a massive space and it just takes a little bit of time. It takes a, a, a bit of support as well. It's not something that you can just go... Yes. As I've just snapped my fingers, as you can not see on radio. <laughs> but you can but just... But it can be, be done. But you can, it can absolutely it can be, be done. done. With, yeah. the, with the right supports and the right kind of... The right attitude towards it as well, that you're looking to find something for yourself. You can't necessarily change somebody. So you can't go to somebody going, I think this is what you need to do. It's about, OK, I want to find this for myself, so how do I go about that? And speaking of going about it, if people want to talk to you, how can they do that? Laura? Yeah, absolutely. I am on social media, so you can catch me on Instagram at PDC Coaching or you can pop me an email at info at pdccoaching.com. All right, so you're going to brave the weather once again yes. and uh, do be safe. Thanks very much indeed, Lorna. Thank yeah. you. Gardening is on the way. By the way, if you have a gardening query, will you get it into us, please? 083 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Time to talk about gardening. Delighted to be joined as usual by Alton Nesbitt. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, Fran. It's not an ideal day for gardening, that's for sure, Alton. No, it's a very, very wet and windy out there. Yeah. But really, at this time of the year, it, it, it's a lovely time of year, really, because um, uh, a lot of the plants will be making lovely display of berries uh, at this time of the year. And I love love things that are, are quite easy to grow and that will, will give a good display at this time of the year. Things like the cotoneasters. These are lovely. Um, a lot of them are evergreen, and um, you can use them as a, either ground cover or as a tree, or even as, as um, uh, climbing plants as well. So the cotoneasters are probably one of the, the easiest plants to grow as well. They grow very easily from cuttings, and as well as that, they, they are, they're quite rampant and quite vigorous as well. So a lot of them are used um, in gardens uh, to have uh, lots of um, you'll have lots of flowers during the summertime, um, and they have lovely red berries then in the autumn time. And they also um, are evergreen. So, I mean, there's a lovely one called Cotoneaster hybridus pendulus. And this is a lovely weeping type of um, uh, uh, dwarf tree that, that will, will cascade down um, almost like an umbrella shape um, from it. And it has these lovely long ob- oblong uh, leaves, evergreen leaves. But then it also has these brilliant bright red um, berries on it at this time of the year. And this is fantastic for the wildlife as well because the birds absolutely devour it and you'll have the blackbirds and the thrushes um, uh, if, if you get a, a severe winter. It tends to uh, sustain them all over the winter months as well. Um, other things then that are very good are the pyracanthas. And there's lovely um, varieties. There's lovely um, pyracantha is, is used as a hedge growing plant or even you can have it as a climber up against the wall. 
But that, what I like about it is has a mass of these lovely lilac, or uh, a lovely um, uh, 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 creamy white flowers on it uh, right through the summer months. But then in the autumn time, you have these lovely red or orange or yellow berries from from them, and quite a, quite an, uh, a vigorous plant as well. So I mean, the, these will grow in in soils that isn't too good. Um, or even in very exposed areas as well, is quite a quite a hardy hardy plant. Um, again, um, you, you can have them. Um, I would tend to do plant them in blocks of colour. So you'd have the blocks of red, say five five of the red, ten of of the yellow, and then um, uh, five of the orange. Do them in that type of um, uh, uh, like nice. as a hedge, or even as um, a, a climber up against the wall, because it's much better to the eye instead of having every second one um, red, yellow, orange. Um, have them in blocks of colour so that it looks much much better to the eye as well. Other things then, there's a lovely thing called colicarpa, which is a lovely purple berry as well, or even that thing called hippophane. And um, a hippophane is a lovely silver-leafed um, shrub. Um, and sea buckthorn is the common name of it. But that's uh, quite an easy one to grow as well. But lovely bright orange um, berries from that as well. And again, that's very good for, for uh, the wildlife as well. Other things then would be lovely mountain ashes and, uh, uh, and even um, the mountain ashes have a fantastic autumn colour on them. You see them, lovely bright orange or red or even golden leaves on them at this time of the year. And mountain ash are, are particularly quite hardy as well. Very, very good for exposed areas. But again, we'll have lovely uh, creamy uh, white flowers in the summertime, and then you'll have the orange or red or even pink berries from, from the mountain ash. Again, the, the, there are trees that are, are quite neat. They, they don't grow too wide or anything like that, only about 15 foot high and, uh, and, and quite narrow in stature. But again, fantastic autumn colour from, from them at this time of the year. Lovely things then would be like other things, other climbers would be like the ivies. And the ivy has a lovely blackberry on it uh, uh, coming into this time of year. The ivies flower right through the whole winter, really, as well. But then they'll have these lovely blackberries on them, which are great for the, the wood pigeon um, uh, during the, the, the winter months as well. Cynthia carpus is a lovely plant as well, or even something called pernetia. The Cynthia carpus, you can get that in, in lovely pink berry or white berry as well. Or the, the pernetias, you'll have a bright, bright, um, bright uh, luminous purple. Um, and white and um, uh, uh, red uh, from those. I mean, we have, have those as lovely um, individual plants. They're fantastic in containers, actually, the pernetias. And they're lovely um, at this time of year to plant in your containers um, to have great colour um, from the berries. Uh, even the, the um, uh, Solanum, uh, the castrum, the, the, slant, the, the winter cherry, is bright orange berries from that as well. And they're great combination plants to have in your window boxes or even in, in your large containers as well to have good um, uh, autumn winter colour from them. Very good indeed. Um, for for some reason or other, three questions in about apple trees. One saying uh, apple tree uh, all rotten on the inside. The six-year-old tree itself is leaning. Um, somebody else saying my apple tree leaves are all turning black and somebody else wondering about pruning them. So you might like to combine those for resulting? Yeah. With, with, the, with the, the core rot or, or, or central rot, that's usually a, a magnesium deficiency, so uh, really on, on the, the apple tree. So it's very important to use a thing called a, a magnesium salt at the base of the apple trees um, uh, uh, at this time of the year. So next spring, when they come into flower and just the fruit starts to form, they have plenty of magnesium um, taken up so that they don't get any core rot in the, the centre of the apple. Um, another thing, when the apples start to form, when they're, when they're about marble size, kind of middle middle of May or uh, middle of May onwards, 
and um, they're like almost marble size. Mm. It's a spray thing called copper mixture, and this uh, is a, like it's a fungicidal spray that you can spray uh, at, the, at the outer skin of the, the apple the, when they're marble size, and that should keep any apple scab or apple canker uh, forming on on the apples. So that they don't get any damage um, uh, on the outer skin of it. You don't get any of that core rot getting into the centre of the apple. And so, in the middle of May, you, you use a thing called um, copper uh, copper mixture. And then in in the um, uh, autumn time, this time of year, really, is feed them with a magnesium salt so that you, it keeps the the, the apple apples quite clean and no damage in the centre of them. Now, with the black leaves on on the apple trees now at the moment. Um, really, they're going to start coming, falling back now anyway. So you're coming into the autumn time, a lot of the leaves are going to get a lot of rust yes. and, and, and black spot on them. So that's going to happen naturally. Just allow that you don't allow the leaves to, to um, uh, degrade down in, into the, the soil below the trees. Gather the leaves up um, and, and then uh, use that as compost um, uh, elsewhere in, in the garden. And don't allow the spores to go back up onto the tree uh, in the springtime. Okay, and the pruning? Uh, pruning is a good time to prune once you harvest all the apples, mm. um, and always prune back. Always, you get an awful lot of pruning. Uh, let's say a lot of vegetative, vegetative growth from the top of the trees. These are big, long, long growths that, that you have. So cut them back to spore buds to the main stem. So you allow these um, the apple tree to form fruit spurs. Uh, these are, are the fruit spurs that will have the flowers on it, and then therefore lots of fruit on them. It forces the plants, uh, the tree, to produce more fruit for you. So cut back to four buds to the main stem. Um, uh, use any of the larger boughs that are crossing. Remove those so that you don't get any, any uh, scarring on, on the branches um, and so that you don't get any canker growing in on it. Um, so cut them, cut, cut any cross branching off it. Get, away, get rid of any dead or damaged wood off it as well, especially after the storm. You get a little few branches broken. So cut them back cleanly. Um, use a thing called arbor steel and steel paint onto any of the larger wounds. Uh, that that that, uh, that, uh, that you cut off, and um, so that seals yes. it, so that you don't get any canker getting in, into the stem. All right. Uh, somebody else wondering, um, what would be good hedging in poor ground? I planted a red robin two years ago, but it's nearly all dead at this point. It's a border between a grass lawn and the field. Yeah, really, because it's probably exposed as well. So it gets a lot of wind wind burn on, on the. The fatinias and red robins. The, yeah, the fatinias and red robins are quite a hungry plant that they need uh, good soil to mm. go into. So it's much better to have things that are that are hardier and that can take wind and uh, starve soil. So think, this is a simple hedge and, and quite a quick-growing one, and, and it's lovely planted in the countryside. Is the white thorn hedging? It's a very very hardy hedge, and it makes a lovely, uh, uh, mm. almost like stock-proof hedge, really, uh, because you you plant about seven per meter and do a kind of a staggered row of them. And they're quite a vigorous um, uh, hedge to, to come on quite quickly. And you can layer it as well. I mean, they're lovely layers. Um, so it makes it completely stock-proof and, and even a dog or cat can't get through it. Um, and then as well, I, I like to plant with the with the um, uh, Crotagus monogyna, which is the, the ordinary white thorn hedge. Um, plant in between those every so often is the lovely um, Crotagus monogyna, Paul Scarlet. It's a lovely pink flowering, flowering one. So you could have the lovely white, white um, flowers during the summertime, or during, um, let's say, um, early, late spring, early summer, uh, the white flowers of the, the white thorn, and then have the lovely Paul scarlet, the lovely pink to red uh, flowers in between them every so often. And it gives a lovely display 
um, uh, right through the, the, mm. the late spring, early summer. Declan is wondering, do you know anybody stocking garlic cloves for autumn growing? None of my usual stockists have it this year so far. I normally have mine in the ground by mid-September. Well, we actually have, have a large selection of garlic in Arabon stores um, in Nina. Very good. Um, and in our stores there. Uh, so um, uh, garlic is good so at this time of year. Garlic and um, uh, uh, kale and even um, do, do this lovely winter cabbages that you can sow now and even leeks as well. So we have, have those in, in our Arabone stores. But uh, uh, garlic again, uh, push down, split the, the garlic clove up um, and push it down uh, uh, just, just below the surface of the soil so that um, it will get a good root system on it and, and then um, let, let the frost and the weather get at it. That forms the garlic to, to bulk up a lot better for you. Right. So um, again, I beg your pardon. Six, yes, yes, Alton. Yep. Uh, but, uh, plant them about six inches apart as well, so that, that you right. get good spacing. And just before I let you go, just briefly, if you would, but so many people asking once again for your organic mask killer, would you just give us the ingredients once again, Alton? Yeah, really for organic muscular, we have we have a Nurdop um, spray that you can put out, um, which is an organic-based um, or natural-based um, uh, herbicide that you can put out. But you can also use um, either vinegar, uh, five litres of vinegar, two cups of Epsom salts, and a, a quarter of a cup of uh, washing up liquid, and an eco uh, washing up liquid. And that gets it very good on your yard and paths and things like that, and cleans it up very well and gets rid of any weeds that may be coming up as well. Right. Especially at this time of the year when you have, uh, when the wet weather comes, you get that very, very uh, lot of algae and moss starting to come creeping back into your yards and, uh, and paths and things like that. All right, Alton, great to talk to you as always and happy gardening and thank you for that. That's it from me. Uh, Ali, produced Stephen is on the way with uh, the Time Tunnel and some breaking news for you. That drugs haul from the cargo ship in Cork is estimated to be worth €157 million. Euro. And of course, we'll have more in our main uh, lunchtime news at one o'clock. Um, that's it for me. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves and be safe out there, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.